Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back for part two of our semi-annual question-and-answer episodes to wrap things up in one almost-but-not-quite-three-hour installment. Today, we discuss the recent CBS News story on C.B. Sobolski and Marvel, Man of Steel Number 1, Deadpool 2, Manga, 2000 AD, The Differences Between Stan Lee and Donald Trump, Thought Balloons, The Waffle Window, Solo, A Star Wars Story, and much, much, much more. Comments on this episode are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. Send us your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeb Lester! Graham McMillan, hello! Hello, how are you? I'm good. My understanding is we're back on the cans again. We are back on the cans again. That sounds like we're alcoholics. It really does. What do, what do you mean? What is What is that say? The headboards. Oh, but last time we met in person, so we weren't on the cans. That's what I'm saying, but now we are. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're this saying. We're doing it through Skype again. Therefore, we're back on the cans. Oh, wow. Well, I listeners, if you ever wondered it, who was the more really clever did. and adept uh, of the two of us, now you have your answer. It is Mr. Grimm. Very clever, McMillan. Thank you very much. Uh, of course, I am nothing without my esteemed partner in crime, Mr. Jeff. Not nearly as clever, Lester. Oh. I was going to say just as clever. Thanks very much. <laughs> Jeez. Yes, and yet yet another gr- uh, grasping defeat from the jaws of um, of compromise. Uh, I was going to say victory, and I'm like, meh. It's You're not like really not victory. victory. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was just Graham being I, sort of, uh, yeah, yeah, from the jaws of equivalence. Exactly. What can you do? What can you do, Jeff? Well, hey! Hey! Wow, good transition. Uh, my guess is we should answer some questions. Like, I'm sort of like, yeah, we should talk about news, new comics, and blah, blah, blah. But I also well, think maybe wait, we should. Yes. We should, but there is just something. There's one thing I want to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Did you see the CBS news story about Marvel? No. I saw that there was one, but I did not click through. I just saw some Jeff. of the... Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, what do you think would make this worth me bringing up? Um, please tell me that. Well, no, because I, I know that they didn't say, "Hey, by the way, Mister Sobolski, didn't you pose as?" Yes, they did, Jeff. Did they really? Yes, they did. Holy shit! So, are you ready for C.B. Sobolski's first public statement about the Kirishida shit? Oh, this is the first public statement, huh? Yeah, I thought I thought he had made some earlier statement via he, he, via Ridge Johnson. Oh, but so <laughs> this is his first public statement, Jeff. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I've always wanted to write and tell stories, and it was a different time in cultural politics, and I made some very bad choices at the time, ones that I regret, and that I've since made amends for, and have been working to, you know, really kind of put behind me. Huh. I, 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 it would have been great if the CBS person was like, oh, what kind of amends exactly? Because exactly. that's well, the first that we're all mean? hearing from it. Yeah. Yes. But you've not said anything publicly before this. So what kind of amends have you really been do- doing? Also, sure, it was a different time in cultural politics. But 
was 2000, what was it, 2005, really a time where, you know, pretending to be a Japanese man was, was accepted? Well, was that a thing? You, you have like, to understand, Graham. We weren't, they, it, we weren't living in the tolerant times that we have now, you know. White people who worked for Marvel Comics were often hugely discriminated against by their employers and had to pretend to be foreign freelancers and if they ever wanted to expect the chance to be able to write crappy stories about Wolverine fighting ninjas. Of course, I, 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 I wasn't thinking. Yeah. That's, you know, you're right. A little insensitive of you there, Graham. You're one little, Yeah, come I know. on. Well, mm-hmm. no, it's terrible. Hashtag but, know your history. But what's good is... They did then bring on Sana Amanat to be like, no, we're really diverse. Yeah. Sana Amanat, who, bless her, has, has, is plugged into the program so much that she stopped sounding like her, a human being who works at a, at, at a real company. This is what Sana Amanat said about Marvel in general. Are you ready? I can't wait. I hope to very much, so I hope to be very much like a lifestyle brand. Huh. And also, the other big thing that's going to happen at Marvel is I don't think it's going to be associated as a boy brand. Marvel has always been inclusive, and I think it should be a place that anyone looks at that red logo and they realize, oh yeah, that's just a really cool entertainment company. Wow, that that sounds like she said nothing. I mean, that really right? does isn't sound that like, like... Isn't ooh, it amazing? I, I honestly feel like someone just put like buzzwords into a shredder. <laughs> well, and then, like, they sell taped it down and they're like, look, just read this and pretend to be human. It's like, note to Santa, half a Xanax less next time. Because that really was... It's not just that it's the buzzwords, they just don't sound connected to anything. Like, I hope to be I, very I, much like a lifestyle brand, Jeff. What, did, what does that mean? What, what does she mean, a lifestyle brand? Sana herself hopes to be very Right, much that's so. what I'm saying. She's a lifestyle brand? She herself? Like, like, like... Goop? And also, I don't think it's is good Gwyneth to be associated... Paltrow's as... lifestyle brand? I mean, she's... Goop is, but Gwyneth Paltrow isn't, right? Like, I'm, I'm really... I'm asking you here as, like, I am an old person who's trying not oh, to no, pay no, attention no, to the internet. No, no, clearly what is going on is, is you know, that this, this went wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like she meant to Marvel hopes very much to be, or I hope that Marvel will be very much like a lifestyle brand. But even so, oh my god. Yeah. Uh, Marvel's always been inclusive, and I think it should be a place that anyone looks at that red logo and they realize, oh yeah, that's just a really cool entertainment company. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I find when entertainment companies are really cool, they call themselves really cool entertainment companies. Well, yeah. I'm just sort of like, oh, that's just a really cool entertainment. Is it just? Like, I mean, as opposed to what? I don't know. As opposed to a boy brand or a girl brand. I guess that's it, a boy brand. Also, oh, man, I got to tell you, the pressure's pressure's gotten to her. I I think that that is the safe thing to say. Um, That is, that's, that's, uh, that's, well, I got to tell you, Graham, I I understand your specific form of, um, Marvel-related Schadenfreude, but uh, but wow, uh, that's terrible. Yeah. On the plus side, it was CBS, so it wasn't ABC, so we know this is in corporate synergy. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. So so hooray! This was a legitimate, uh, quote unquote, news story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not quite sure what the news story is. Like, uh, I, I I mean, I genuinely don't understand why this happened. <laughs> Uh, but, but I'm sure they know. wanted to get their new their their 
quote unquote story out there and the idea is like oh yeah we need to we need to sort of well the thing that i think is fascinating is is that it uh, it sounds like a well i mean not so much based on what you said but some of the other excerpts that i saw online it kind of sounded like they were trying to pivot away from the marvel you know we're the brand for like old aging white fanboys yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. trying to do the Marvel. We're a cool, inclusive entertainment company. So, so this was on CBS this morning today, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the Chiron on CBS this morning on screen said reinventing a Marvel inside the comic book company's quest to diversify his content. Yeah. The headline on the internet, Marvel Comics editor in chief on company's diversity push, comma, using a Japanese pen name. Oh man! Well, I'm I you know I, which is which is great. I'm sort of sorry that they didn't like push that one a little heavier. How awesome would it have been for them to end up on like 60 minutes, you know, to get that sort of like <laughs> just really go for CB. Yeah, exactly. Just just kind of really dig in. Like, uh, what do you mean, you know? Or or have statements where like Sana saying things like. Marvel's always been inclusive, and then it cuts to footage of like, you know, Marvel, formerly timely, refused to hire anyone that was not willing to work for, you know, well, no, more than always, sawdust. You know, Marvel's always been inclusive. The first gay characters in Marvel comics were rapists in a YMCA story, <laughs> <laughs> in a Hulk issue. You know, it's just one of those weird things. You know, now that I think about it, didn't Shooter try suggesting that maybe... Who's the person who said that Hulk might be gay? Was that Joe Quesada? Like, Bruce Banner oh, might be straight, I, but, I like, no Hulk idea. could be gay or something I, like that? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, man, I can't believe you don't remember that greatest hit, Graham. So, I really don't. Like, that. That's I've totally ever heard that before, and it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's it really it's kind of it is stunning. I, unless I hallucinated it, which is fully possible, but I believe those were actual words said back when they were kind of equivocating and maybe in the maybe in the face of the Rawhide Kid disaster, I don't remember. That that was not a disaster to Marvel. Marvel still thinks that was great. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. A, right, a triumph that they needed to spin heavily, you know. Um I don't know. Yeah, uh, I, it's funny because it's like when I, the idea of Marvel embracing diversity, there's two fronts, like behind the scenes and in, you know, the characters and the creators. And I feel like Marvel's not done such a great job at either. I mean, in theory, there's there was a lot of forward movements recently that they, you know, basically tried to, you know, um that David Gabriel basically blamed for the company not doing well. So yes, but but he he is quoted in the piece as saying we're 100% committed to diversity. Marvel's the world outside your window, and we want not only our characters but our creative talents to reflect that world. And it hasn't been an easy road, to be honest with you. He says this is David Gabriel saying that. Yeah, I think so. It has it, been easy. In, in the written piece, but I think it's it. I want to say it like it's Gabriel, if I remember the the video. Wow, what a clown. It hasn't been an easy road. I mean, you know, what do we do? Our hands are tied. We're the employers. We're the people trying to hire people. But sometimes people of color just don't want to be hired. You know. <laughs> oh, don't say that. <sighs> it's just, 
just anyway. Wow, Graham, I gotta tell you that is uh, that's some, that's some exciting synergistic news. Um, so good good work, Marvel. Hey, did they were they up. did they really not have it tied to anything like I don't know? No, I, I, I think Captain what America it's, or anything. No, I think it's I think it's like winding up to like Captain America coming out. Mm. I, I think, uh, and I say that purely because I think I spoke to the producer of this piece earlier this week. Oh wow! I'm not sure if I did. It's a weird thing. Um, I uh, 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 a mutual friend put me and the television producer in touch, mm-hmm. and we talked about Marvel Legacy and, and Fresh Start. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if it was the producer of this piece because I don't know what network she worked for. Wow. Interesting. I mean, it must do, right? Like, it, it, it only makes sense that it is the producer of this piece. How many other networks are working on a Marvel piece? Well, who knows? I mean, like you said, well, if they the, didn't have a piece and things they're still building toward, but no, I'm sure it was probably they were trying to get some sort of background done in this piece. So, would you tell the producer? Did you were you diplomatic no, they, or were they, you just they, like no, they, oh, they had they specific awful. questions? They had specific questions they wanted answered. Oh, I see. And you answered them. I see. So, so this was like by email. You weren't actually like this. this is no, this is by email. It was no, it wasn't like for broadcast or anything. It was literally like. Oh no! But I mean, I thought it could have been a quick Skype call. You know, no, 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 no. It was like Graham McMillan. Hello. It was literally someone going, "Can I ask you a couple of questions? Just to get stuff straight in my mind." And it was contextual. It was like, um, uh, "Is is Fresh Start like a a reboot?" Is it a continuation? Like, how much of it is connected to Legacy? Like, is it trying to literally get away from Legacy because Legacy flopped? Like, that sort of thing. Man. And you answered these questions without being like, uh, where's my do-re-mi? Like, oh, hey, I'm so glad you asked these questions. You know, I have a Patreon. <laughs> no, I answered the goodness of my heart, Jeff. No, I totally get it. Which is, which is why the people ask you things. Because you're good. I'd be like, good questions. Actually... Marvel Fresh Start is a grocery chain. Um. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You're as helpful as I am, if not more so. And to prove it, yes, I'm going to ask you questions. Woo! Questions. Uh, I I have to say, I emailed these questions to you literally as we started recording. Oh, really? So you, have, you have them I on your seen them. Oh, well, there we go. Uh, but I will start with Cinema Strikes Back. Hey. Strikes Back. I actually don't know what your name is. Jeff might. You're good with real names. I literally just know people as their Twitter handles. I feel like Cinema Strikes Back Twitter handle, yeah, is Cinema Strikes Back. Like, I don't, I don't no, remember no, I, the I, name. I know that's the Twitter handle, but do you know their actual name? No. And I mean, I know the, I want to say, is, is, um, it's Takahashi Mike. Oh, man, I did it wrong. Anyway, let's say no. So... Already, I'm behind the eight ball on this sucker. I well, definitely, it, I was going to say, like, oh, I definitely know their um, their uh, avatar, but then I tried to look it up and couldn't. I was denied, so. The question is, Jeff, if you could install a new leadership for Marvel and or DC, who would you pick? Hmm. With a, a cold eye towards improving sales and market relations while also trying to improve less tangible metrics like quality and diversity. Wow, that's a that's a toughie. I feel like I'm not necessarily the best person to, cause you know, like I remember back when we were speculating who would who would end up being the Marvel EIC if uh, Casado, uh, sorry, if Alonso left, and um, you know, and then they went for an out of the box solution, right? Exactly. 
<laughs> Are puppets out of the box? That's a, kind of the question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Meow. I know. Meow. Uh, let, let me see here. I don't. I don't know, you know, let me think who, honestly, like, sure, like, let's, if, you know, let's put Ta-Nehisi Coates in charge of, of Marvel Comics as, as EIC for, like, a year. Like, he's been great at recruiting talent for those people, you know, I mean, he, he's been, done a fantastic job of finding people, like, really significantly talented people who want to work in comics, you know, or I should say, you know, people like Evan Narcisse or Roxanne Gay, you know, it's like he's, he's got himself a, a deep bench of connections. So I think that would be pretty amazing. Um, but I mean, I say all this, but who knows? I'm sure you'd be like, hell no, I don't want to. Are you kidding me? Um, I don't know, man. And then, it, and then for DC, uh, I, I mean, part of me is just sort of like, it's just be silly, like, let's, I, you know, I was going to be somebody like, uh, let's put Grant Morrison in charge. But, you know, I mean, that guy, I don't, I don't know if anyone's even looking at heavy metal. Is he still editing heavy metal? Do you know? I I think so. I, who knows? Right, right? Right, because yeah. like you said, like, who's even looking at heavy metal? Also, was he ever really editing heavy metal? I He made it sound like he did. I mean, he wrote his, he really overwrote his his first couple of editorials, but I didn't, for whatever reason, I kind of had this weird thing, the first couple of issues when I was looking at it was kind of like, some of the stuff looked like Morrison might have, might have commissioned a piece like one piece out of every issue, apart from whatever yeah, it he was working more on. Like a, a celebrity editor. Yeah. Thing. Do you know what I mean? Where uh-huh. like the real editor's doing the job, and someone comes in for like the the photo shoots. Right. So and they're like, "Hey, I totally know. edited it," and you know, and like a, an SNL guest or something. They're like, "I've been really fascinated with," you know, and they just name something random, and the editor's like, "Okay, I'll get on that." Right. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it's always struck me as that sort of deal. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I could be wrong. Maybe he was maybe he was literally in the office every single week. Well, I mean, even the in the office, not in the office. I just so, sort of what I found really interesting was not that I follow heavy metal very closely at all, but it kind of seemed like there was, um, you know, some weird monkey's paw situation where somebody was like, ah. I want to be able to publish heavy metal and the and the pa was like and is like yeah I'm the publisher wait a minute I have 37,000 pages of grayish blue European art that I have to reproduce and serialize until the end of time that is literally like like the most boring like like there would be milk delivery comics that could be more interesting than this bluish gray near futuristic people staring at the sides of computer gizmos and talking just gibberish like and not even gibberish makes it sound interesting so like when Morrison took over I'm like this is the same crap that was in the book when I was not interested in reading it like a year ago you know so so I just don't I just don't necessarily know how that that works out, and I, I'm really hoping that someone like comes into our comments uh, thread for this issue and just totally like um, p- 
paints me as the ignorant clown that I am. Because I really, I don't, I don't know, but it does not look. I, I picked up the first couple of issues. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do this, and like, I don't even think I made it. I think I made it halfway through the second issue and just tapped out. Like, this is oh, heavy metal. You know, and again, there's something that's kind of like I kind of figured with Grant Morrison in charge, there would be a little bit more. I don't know. Anyway, so so yeah, Graham, let's let's turn it around on you because you'll have some good answers. Who would who would you pick for new leadership for Marvel and DC? Marvel would put Steve Wacker in charge. Hmm, that's actually a good pick. Yeah, I hate the guy, but I mean, he is an excellent editor. So yeah. Yeah, and I I think he'd come up with some interesting. Uh, I think he was. I think when he was an editor, he came up with some really good uh, creative teams. I mean, uh, some I, of I'm, them are still working today. You know what I mean? Like if you think about the people who are kind of Marvel's big heavy hitters, like I feel like Wacker was really instrumental in drawing Wade back into Marvel. Of course, yeah. he developed Slot, and then he and Sana developed the Ms. Marvel Ms. team. Marvel. I mean, yeah, that's, you're he, right. He got. But also, like, he, he was the Hawkeye editor, which, oh, right. you know, really was a big deal for Marvel for a long time. It's the point where they kept trying to repeat it mm-hmm. for a very long time. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd, I'd probably – I'd see if Wacker would be interested in being editor-in-chief. Mm-hmm. He probably wouldn't. He's probably smart enough to know that being out of comics is, is not the worst idea in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, for DC, I really want to say Marie Javins. Oh, that's a nice pick. I think. I, it, I mean, I, in both cases, I pick people who like have, have or are editing there. You know, recently, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not really going outside the box at all. Right. But I'd be really interested to see what Marie Jamin said, hmm. uh, if given. And and she's now, is she the Justice League group editor? She's now working for, for in like the mainline books. Right. She moved from uh, superhero I girls think- and expanded into Justice League. Right. Yeah, I think it's Justice League shows. I'm looking, I'm checking the, the, the creative team on No Justice, which is right beside me. Yeah, she's the group editor of No Justice. Um, so we'll see how she does there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see what she, what she'd do if given the entire company to play with. It'd be fascinating. It's fascinating to me that Jamie Rich is a DC editor there. You know what I mean? And really, I mean, I guess a comparatively successful one, you know, but. That always I mean, blows he, my mind. He, is someone he was who, he was like the 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 head honcho of Vertigo for a hot minute. Yeah, for a hot minute. But I mean, I I so associate him from his years elsewhere. You know, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I still think of Jamie as like you know he edited Oni and then was a film critic. Yeah, right. <laughs> so then you're like, oh, but wait, he's actually been at DC for like five years. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's all it's that's always kind of like, huh, you know. He might be able to shake things up, but I don't know. I mean, part part of it really is the with a cold eye toward improving sales and market relations. I mean, like I'm not sure what those things well, yeah, really I, I, mean. Not, yeah, and also I'm not sure how much the editor in chief actually plays a role in those things. Well, I mean, that's certainly the case at Marvel. I I feel like the the aftermath of Alonzo's outing is is like. I mean, we joke like, about Sobolski literally Lonzo, being a puppet, but he he may very well be a puppet in that well, regard. Well, Lonzo going, mm-hmm. I think many people 
myself included, read that as, oh, David Gabriel won. Exactly. And that's what, that's how I take it. And that's how I still take it. You know, I, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like that is anything different. I don't know. Uh, so, um, it's funny because, uh, you know, I tweeted about, I picked up the, the 52, um, trades I, in this yeah because they, they were they're the comicsology sale right yes although people if you're interested in picking up 52 and I, I have to say a lot of people seemed into me tweeting about it i was very impressed that each one of the volumes was like the four volumes was 5.99 each on comicsology and then uh was it mike miller was uh kind enough to point out the fact that um at amazon they are selling the new um, editions, which are basically volume two one and two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For the same price, for five ninety nine. And Ooh, are they? Yeah. Oh. I yeah. Know. Shit. I mean, I've got the print copies. I don't need to. And yet, at the same time, I'm like, but if it's just on the Kindle. Yeah. I mean, although some people were kind of like, yeah. I mean, it's on the Kindle and it's very cheap. Although maybe you should check because I think some people are like. You know, as Dan White pointed out, like those J.G. Jones covers on the single issues are pretty great. So, um, yeah, who who was the gosh? <laughs> Where is the person who told me? Oh, right. Bill Reed, the amazing Bill Reed pointed out that the that the the new 52 new editions are, are over on Amazon and then. It's uh, Matthew Murray pointed out that all the volumes, oh wait, all the volumes are on Hoopla, but I don't know if that's yes, like... it's the volumes one and two are editions are on Hoopla. Wow. Okay, so there you go, people. Like you don't even have to follow in Jeff's clumsy footsteps. You can actually digitally read that stuff for free. Which was not my point. My point was actually I picked it up and started reading it and I had like just the strongest. I only got through the first chapter and uh, first issue because um, I was doing nine million other things today. But A, I really dug it. B, I'm fascinated to the extent to which um, like, uh, like it blows my mind that DC has basically, you know, rebooted their universe twice since then. But right, <laughs> which is just just not good. And and also the fact that it's such a um 52 exists, I feel so firmly because of what the Dio wanted to do and move the DC universe toward. Um and then somehow also kind of managed to kind of destroy it slash strip mine it slash replay it to decreasing you know decreasingly effective results you know because reading it and reading the things being like yes and then all the super villains teamed up and attacked us all at once like some of the infinite crisis fallout like 52 opens with people talking about literally the end of infinite crisis and how all that was the stuff that moved into countdown to infinite crisis and i remember like reading that stuff and even though some of it was a little too you know on the verge of grimdark i mean of course it now looks like a lovable larf compared to what the new 52 tried to do and on top of it it was just also kind of like 
Right. You've kind of got people, you've kind of, you very much have people of quality working on 52. And it just all felt like all the pieces were in place, you know? And it felt, yeah, it felt like it was working. Mm-hmm. It felt like it was And also that it was exciting. Yeah. Well, that's it. It was exciting, but it was, it was exciting, but it also kind of was enjoyable. I think in a way because there was a, by that point, that iteration of the universe had had, like, actually had a decent head of steam. There was, like, a pretty good sense of momentum. Like, rereading it, I was like, oh, right, like, 52, like, the Black Adam stuff, I was like, right, I remember how strong Jeff Johns' JSA was. Like, and just kind of how much work and thought and care people had put into building that iteration of the DC universe, you know, and and having that sort of be kicked down post-Flashpoint in the new 52, and even here in Rebirth, where I feel like in some ways they're doing things well, um, it still feels unsettled, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like even Rebirth has a lot of like, eh, eh, we could just upend this whole, you know, kick plate at any time, so... Well, that that's interesting, and and you know, sooner I will get back to the questions, I promise. But I read um, the first issue of Snyder's Justice League this mm-hmm. week, which is oh, coming right. out on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what is it? Uh, what's interesting to me? Well, there's a few things interesting to me. One of which is it makes metal feel unambitious, right? But it makes metal also feel incoherent well my I, first thought yeah. was well you know, which we've both talked about mm-hmm. but but what my first thought was honestly oh it's like hickman's avengers mm-hmm. but for justice league hmm. the other thing is this it very 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 clearly does not take place in the new 52 universe <laughs> Oh, you mean the the there Rebirth a, universe or the new Fifty Two? Yeah, no, that's oh, but if insofar as the Rebirth universe is in theory, oh, I see, I, a continuation of the new Fifty Two universe. Right, right, got it. On the first page, there's a cameo from DC One Million Justice League. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, and and when you see the various characters and the setup for it, I mean, it it outright ignores the new 52 slash DCU version of the Martian Manhunter mm-hmm. in favor of a version who is basically the old school Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. You know, the the relationships call, I mean, the, the hot girl for that matter, is more or less the JSA hot girl from the Jeff John Trump. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's DC continuity has gotten to a point where they're all but They've all been given up in the New 52. Mm-hmm. Like, in Doomsday Clock, which I don't think you are reading anymore, Doomsday Clock explicitly takes place in the pre-Flashpoint DCU. In that it makes references to stories from, like, 1980-something. Okay, but... Multiple times. Ugh. Right? And you're like, but what? Right. Uh, the fl- current Flash storyline? Mm-hmm. The entire motivator for this is that Wally is remembering the the old universe mm-hmm. and the people are showing him things from the old universe mm-hmm. the most recent uh, the end of James Tynan's 
Detective Comics is the same thing. Mm-hmm. Spoiler and and uh, Cassandra Kane see versions of themselves from the old DCU. Mm-hmm. So either we're heading towards like you know crisis on oh fuck it we're just restoring the old DCU mm-hmm. or the creators are just going to like slip this shit in and basically go let's just all agree never to mention the new 52 again right right you know yeah well yeah and I guess that's good I mean it's interesting I, one of the things I did want to ask you about was about Justice League um, because I knew you'd read it because uh, I have to say, by the time I got to the end of No Justice, I was like, oh, I remember Graham teasing me about wanting Snyder to write Justice League and that I was going to, you know, basically <laughs> regret <laughs> saying that. And game, you were like, oh, I'd love to see a Snyder Justice League. Right. And now, and after getting to the end of No Justice, I'm just like... I really dug No Justice. I know we, we're on different pages with this. No. But I really dug, I, I'm going to say No Justice is not like what Justice League is like. Okay, well, that's sort of a relief to me. Um, so you dug uh, each in different it's, ways, huh? Yes. Justice League is much less frantic than No Justice, is much more measured, is much slower, is much quieter. Mm-hmm. For all of for all of Snyder's like, you know, I'm doing the fucking Justice League, which he clearly is. Don't get me wrong; like, he's clearly excited, he's clearly giddy. Like, there, there's, there's, it's much more upbeat than his Batman, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's much closer for me to his Batman than to Metal. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say his Batman. I specifically mean Batman, not All Star Batman. Got it. Yeah. Well, I think that's good. I don't know. I guess that's good. I, I, cause I kind of feel like I've gone from being like a Snyder, uh, fan of how goofy and sort of into it he is to kind of a, um, you know, hey kids, get off my lawn. And by kids, I mean you, Scott Snyder. So I'm, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I I'm curious what out. you make the first issue. I'm really curious what you make the first issue. Mm-hmm. Because I really did get a very heavy, heavy Hickman vibe. Yeah, which I don't think is great. I mean, you know, I read, I, I read a huge chunk of Hickman's Avengers run like i think maybe i made it all the way through to the end of time runs out i don't remember but but i mean i guess that's good i know david uzumari will be happy about that but i mean i guess did you did i thought you didn't really dig hickman's avengers or did you i did i didn't Uh so you like it more when it's on the dc characters or is it i think i think that's it uh i think it's also I find Snyder, for all his tics, to be a more human writer than I find Hickman. Mm-hmm. And also, and I could be wrong, the Hickman, Hickman Avengers always seemed destined to be dour. Destined yes. to be depressing, and was pretty much like, I am the nihilist Avengers. Mm-hmm. And this is not the I am the nihilist Justice League. Mm-hmm. When I say I'm, I'm reading a lot of Hickman in it, I'm being in the sense of like, it feels like chapter one of a 24 part story mm-hmm. as was like a first issue do you know what I mean like it feels like he's already doing like call outs to things that will happen two years from now huh. or a year I guess because it's, it's it's a twice monthly a twice monthly book mm-hmm. you know like they're, they're, that's what I'm finding that's the Hickman-esque I'm getting from it mm. like it feels like it ends with with a uh, 
you know, uh, in the same way that Hickman's New Avenger first issue of New Avengers ended, when like it fe- felt very much like a story. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, that's As true. As opposed to like just like a series, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's it's very much that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I am glad. I will definitely check it out. I I uh, it may well benefit from me having lowered the bar, but uh, but well, you know we'll see. Um, Cinema Strikes Back also asks very quickly: Have uh, read the original Battle Angel Alita series yet? I have. Jeff, have you? I I I started it and got sidetracked in the case of there's just too much stuff going on. One of the things that kind of bummed me out was I didn't get through all of Battle Angel Alita Last Order before the original series hit on Comixology Unlimited. So I started reading the first volume and it was a little bit of um it's a little bit of an of uh um an eye opener, you know. It's the he he the artist is has is much more basic in his style, perhaps unsurprisingly, because it's probably like, you know, a dozen to 18 years earlier. But um, it's it's interesting shit. I would I it's it's still on the list. I haven't written it off. Let's put it that way. Um, but in terms of I keep telling myself that I'm going to clear the docks, you know, clear the decks and like just really dig into a big series like that and instead I just end up reading stuff like Werewolf by Night and being like, huh, Werewolf by Night I wish this was a CW show, you know, like (laughs) sadly that's as deep an analysis as I've managed to get in 30 some odd issues so, which I I also have to admit I haven't really tackled when I come back so, no, I, Battle Angel Lita, sitting there on the iPad looking forward to digging into it, have not have yet to dig Carlos Aguilar asks, what are either of your thoughts slash critiques on Devilman, manga or anime? I'm going to tell you right now, I haven't read it or seen it. Mm. Uh, so, so I'm no, I'm no use here. I, I got, I think the last time I was sick with a cold, I made it through about four episodes of Devilman Crybaby and thought that it was both fun and a little not my thing like i don't know it's kind of i'm i'm not i'm not as ever as everyone who listens to this this show knows i am perpetually the manga and anime uh, dilettante so you know watching devilman crybaby on something like netflix i had this like wow i'm really so glad that this exists and at the same time i was kind of like these people seem to really dig Legend of the Overfiend a lot more than I would think that people getting an anime onto Netflix would be able to get away with digging. Uh, which means nothing to you, Graham. Hopefully it gets a snicker, um, either at my ignorance or otherwise. But basically, it, it's pretty extreme, uh, the, the Devilman Crybaby. And, uh, I picked up when I was in Portland, in fact, at the wonderful Cosmic Monkey. I picked up the Devilman uh, collected manga edition from uh, Go Nagai. Uh, I don't, I don't even remember who published that. Is that Seven Seas? I think. No, it's. God, I can't even tell what the logo is on the, on that. Is that? something. Anyway, I think it is Seven Seas. Uh, and have not again was like, oh, I'm so glad that I have this, and then 
went right back to reading Werewolf by Night. So I'm hoping to tackle it soon. Uh, I dig other Go Nagai work that I've read, and I'm very excited that Devilman is um, is back in print. And I think in some ways, considering my weird obsession with Marvel horror, Marvel's weird age of horror superheroes, it'll make an excellent transition if I can finish up like Werewolf by Night and then jump in on Devilman, but sadly, no strong opinions. This is really the the Jeff fail episode of Wait What, I'm afraid. <laughs> I, I, Jeff, don't put yourself down. <laughs> Jesse Morgan asks, how did DC manage to keep the quality up on Rebirth? What did they do different, and can they keep it up? Well, Graham, I feel like this would be something that you would have more insights into. I, 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 I a lot of me wants to reject the premise of the question. <laughs> oh, really? Huh. Um, I think, uh, don't get me wrong, I think DC managed to keep the quality up in Rebirth better than they did on New 52. Oh, very much so. Uh, I, I so. think the quality was, to start with, significantly higher. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that maybe like a year, year and a half into Rebirth, mm-hmm. uh, you could start seeing people lose interest. And when I say people, I mean creators, not fans. Mm, interesting. Um, and you started seeing DC do their, their, their fall back into their, their bad habits. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at, uh, I, I want to say that like Harley Quinn has had like three different creative teams since Palmiotti and Connor left. Mm-hmm. Which was only a few months ago, really. Yeah. Like, not that long. Yeah. And they just keep swapping creative teams out. Like, really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, and so you had the this, this strange thing of... You had creators who came in and they had long-term plans. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at Tynan on Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. You look at... I mean, obviously, Tom King on Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then you have creators who... Wouldn't you say Williamson on Flash? Because I feel like he's been one of the successes. Williamson on Flash, and for that matter, uh, Venditti on Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Or for that matter, Abner on Aquaman. Mm -hmm. But but then you see books where the creators who launched the books left, and DC doesn't know what to do with them afterwards. The obvious one being Wonder Woman, Mm -hmm. where Robinson came on for theoretically 12 issues and then just stayed on the book. Oh, God, is he still on there? Yes. Oh and shit! He, like, that was like not a popular decision at all. Right. And and he's still there, and nobody. Don't. He's wow. off really soon. I want to say next month, maybe. Mm-hmm. Steve Orlando comes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, for 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 what has been announced as a short run. Mm-hmm. But it's Orlando and ACO again teaming up again after Midnighter. Oh wow! Right. So it'll probably be great, or at least like an interesting take. Mm-hmm. Um. But you like you'd have like Robinson on and just be left at a book, or like uh, Sam Humphreys and Bernard Chang took over Nightwing, and were like the Nets big team, and they were on for six issues, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then they're bumped off, mm-hmm. you know. And you see a lot of that type of thing, yeah. where uh, or for that matter, Seely replacing Humphreys on Green Lanterns, and he's off the title now and is being replaced by Dan Jurgens. Right? Yeah. And you're just like, oh, you don't know what to do with these books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that makes me kind of nervous. Uh, I think what worked in Re- Rebirth's favor is there was a clearer editorial direction 
done with New 52. Yeah. There was a knowledge of what hadn't worked in New 52, mm-hmm. which was as much from fan response as editorial fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the creators who knew what they wanted to do stayed on the books for longer. Mm-hmm. I think now that we're in like the, the Snyder Justice League and all those books getting relaunched, uh, Bendis' Superman, um, I, I think we're at a point where we're going to see like a second wave. I think, for example, like Flash right now is as strong as it's been since the rebirth started. Um, if the rumors of the Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp Green Lantern book is true, mm-hmm. that'll be great. Definitely the setup that is in Justice League is super interesting to me. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not, mm. but the setup is as part of the No Justice thing where, where like the Green Lantern Corps are basically trying to keep the source wall closed. Right. Green Lantern discovers that the multiverse has a year to live. Mm. And then it's just going to end. So Green Lantern, wh- whatever the Hal Jordan book is, because Hal Jordan's Green Lantern Corps is ending at 50, they've announced that. Mm-hmm. Whatever the Green Lantern book is that features Hal Jordan is going to be the multiverse book. And it's going to have a mission statement of he has to save the multiverse. Hmm. which is an interesting way of taking it because it feels like it's space but plus right you know which, which feels like a, an interesting new direction um i really like bendis's man of steel i really really like Bendis's oh yeah man of steel. it did want to talk to you about that because i i actually i i'm sure you've read ahead but i picked up the first issue out of curiosity and uh and really found myself shocked by um how much i enjoyed it yeah, and the second issue is, if anything, more understated, mm-hmm. but just works. And it's just, I, I think he's got a really good handle on, on Superman as a character. I like his use of villains. Mm-hmm. I mean, I kind of want to spoil who the villain is in the second issue, because, like the first issue, the villain is there for, like, four pages. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, the villain is not really the villain as much as, like, it's someone Superman deals with super quickly. But it's funny. You know, and it's also a deep dive again mm-hmm. that that you simultaneously are like, oh, I haven't seen that character in ages, especially not done in this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, oh, that's like, that's right. That's how Superman should be dealing with this particular character. One of the things that I really liked about the first issue of Man of Steel is I feel like people have given a lot of lip service to... Uh, Richard Donner's Superman, the motion picture, and I felt like Bendis actually did a pretty decent job of marrying that to sort of all-star Superman and then bringing in his sort of, I, I want to say, his, yeah, his Bendish approach to kind of to continuity in the rest of the universe. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah, but yeah. the stuff that I really liked about the Man of Steel was this idea of like, oh, I, I, I like Superman. I like this person, and yes. in a way that seemed surprisingly effortless, which really does surprise me because I think Bendis usually falls into the trying too hard category for things like that, at least for my take, and it. I was really surprised how much that worked for me. So I, I really like his Clark. I really like his Clark. And I like the way that his Clark interacts with the other people at the Daily Planet. Mm. Um, which is, there's much more of that in issue two. Mm. 
Interesting. Honestly, the way he interacted with people, uh, that just that little scene where he's flying and thinking about, like, hearing a friend. Yes, hearing the music. Yeah. Yeah, and not being able to place the song. I thought that was lovely. And little bits and pieces, like when, um, I guess Killer Moth is like saying like, hey man, don't, don't, don't say the trigger words, you know, was, was actually very clever. I think, Bendis was really aware that he's writing a Superman character. So we'll see where that goes, because I think that there is a little bit of the... I think the thing that I find rough with Superman is the closer that you write him to sort of a pure spirit, it's also when he's at his more overpowered, I suppose... And it can be really hard to then kind of come up with interesting threats, I suppose, you know? One of the things I really like, and it's hinted at in the first issue and much more present in the second issue, is something has clearly happened to Lois and John. Yes. Right? Yeah. And in the second issue in particular, you get to see that he doesn't know how to respond to that. Mm -hmm. And so he's telling everyone it's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I really love that you get that he's like, no, I'm I'm fine. I, it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm fine. And there's something about that that feels very Superman to me. Do you know what I mean? Like you you get other writers being like, Lois has disappeared, and they'll be like, I have to rip the universe apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that always felt like overly melodramatic because right. to me, Superman is the guy who'd be like, no, it's it's fine. It's okay. I don't want you to worry. Right. Yeah, that does make sense, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so... You know, and so I, I really like that. There, there's there's a... It's not even... A, there's a cameo from Green Lantern. I was going to say a team, it's a team-up, but it's not. Mm-hmm. There's a cameo from Green Lantern where where Green Lantern is essentially like, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, shit's happening. Mm-hmm. And Superman's just like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm really, I'm fine. It's it's all good. Like we'll like let's hang out soon, and he just wants to get away. Mm-hmm. And I like that feels very true to who Superman is to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that he is just like the I am utterly fucking dying inside, but I don't want to make your life worse, so I'll just say I'm fine and leave. Well, I, and I do have to say there's something that I kind of like. I remember one of the things that I did like about No Justice was the idea of like taking the Green Lantern Corps kind of off the board by putting them in uh well here we are, we're basically stuck trying to hold the the what's spilling out of the source wall at bay and it's basically gonna require all of us kind of working and we're kind of out of the picture, but not in a we're totally wiped out or you know it's not like exactly. parallax you've has not destroyed, destroyed us the, yeah you've not yeah. destroyed the green lantern core again you just have them be like doing their job somewhere else yeah exactly and have it be kind of an emergency crisis sort of situation where they can't where it takes up all of their so similarly it's one of those situations of like if john and lois end up in the phantom zone or whatever and there's no way to get them back, but they also can't be harmed while they're there. Like, kind of okay. That's to me. Part of me is like, there are worse ways. There's there's much worse ways to deal with um, 
you know, adjusting a status quo than kind of a hold on a second or, you know, this kind of like this is on pause in a way that will have, you know, that we can basically return to as a story seed, you know? Yeah, so. exactly. So, yeah, I, I really, really liked it. We're, we're getting far off track. Uh, what do you think about keeping the quality up in rebirth? First of all, do you think DC did that? You know, I, again, I'm not the right person to ask because it's like rebirth showed up and I don't think that I, I literally haven't read anything um basically but I feel like Tom King stuff you know and then occasional bits and like Tom King stuff and and things that Scott Snyder puts his name on you know and I I don't think that that's a really good metric to judge so unfortunately I really I really have to pass. It sounds they definitely came out of the gate stronger than they did during New 52. And I kind of suspect that maybe everyone's just kind of stuck in limbo until Doomsday Clock wraps up. I don't know. So I hope that that means that they know where they're going after that. Um Yeah, I, I wonder how much they're going to have to play for time because Doomsday Clock was going to be a year and now it's two. Yeah, right. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, if if everyone else was working to a timetable of you have a year left on your book, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like, actually, you've got to kill time for a year as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think which that is that Which be... strikes me as, like, a really, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of potential for failure there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, it's, I think, although I could be wrong, sort of, in the same way that, you know, you can sort of talk about an Alonzo Gabriel schism and and what that meant for Marvel, at least as far as, you know, who was going to take the rap, I do sort of feel like there's a little bit of a DiDio and John's, I'm not sure they're necessarily on the same page. I mean, maybe they feel that they are, but I definitely feel like DiDio's, the stuff that he's both metal and the books coming out of metal are not, again, they just kind of don't feel like they're on the same page as Doomsday Clock or even necessarily where the rest of Rebirth feels like it's at. You know, so, but that's, that's just me honestly, genuinely talking out my butt because I don't follow enough of the DC titles to, to really even speak with any strong sense of knowledge. Uh, I'm going to say this super quickly and then we'll move on because I'm like, we've only done three questions and we're all approaching an hour. So <laughs> good job, Oz. Yes. Um, I, I've been catching up on, on a lot of stuff that I've just not been reading lately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with the terrifics and this week's the unexpected. Mm-hmm. There's for me the first two of the quote unquote new age of DC heroes book mm-hmm. books that like really work. Mm-hmm. That like actually seem like they they are more than just the oh shit we've got to launch some new titles. Which one's the unexpected again? It's the Steve Orlando, Carrie Nord, Ryan Sook book. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I only saw the preview for that, but that did look, that looked really, I want to say great, but I have to say, I'm not sure that I'm totally on the Steve Orlando bandwagon yet. I'm really curious what you think of the first issue. Right. Um, Because it's, 
definitely Ziggs instead of Zykes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That sounds good. Um, and then the Terrifics, again, I'm also very... I'm surprised. I, I guess I'll have to try and hit the trade when it shows up on Hoopla, but I just can't quite bring myself to fully commit. Although I should, because it's, it's Shainer on art, right? Yeah, I was going to say, the, and also, the book feels much more like itself as soon as Shainer appears. Mm-hmm. Shainer to the last issue. Mm-hmm. And you really are like, oh, this is what the book is meant to be all along. Right. And that makes sense to me. And who was it before? Was it Race? Who who was yeah, it? Yeah, it was it was it, it, Ivan it was Ivan Reese. Ah. As I I remember, I told you before that I was I was told I'd said it wrong. Ivan yes. Reese is apparently how you say it. Ah, thank you, Ivan Reese. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's it, he was he did. Well, actually, he didn't. He did issue one and half of issue two. Uh-huh. Then someone else did like the last five pages of issue two, and then Joe Bennett did issue three with. I can't remember who inked issue three, but whoever inked it did an amazing job bridging Bennett and uh, Reese's styles. Huh. Well, that's... I'd like genuinely stunning job. Wow. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That's actually super impressive because part of me is like, wow, three artists in like three, four three issues. issues. Yeah, that's right? that's El... it's four it's four artists and four issues by this point. That's normally El Beso de Muerte. So. I think that I might have spoken both French and Spanish poorly in that. Phrase. No, that 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 works. Oh. That, that's good. Okay. <laughs> um, Lee says, unless it's super quickly, because we're going to get the buzzing in about 50 minutes as well. As someone moving across coasts soon, how would you decide which, if any, physical comics to keep, especially given how cheap digital comics are nowadays? Jeff, I feel like you are the best person to speak to this because you are also someone who is kind of like. Fuck these physical comics. I'm gonna go all digital. Yeah, I'm. I gotta say, I'm really in that camp these days. Like, there's stuff that I have that's either sort of prestige item, fetish object items, like some of the Omnibuy, um, or there's a few things that are just like. Uh, when I was up in Portland. Uh, I saw my brother, and years ago, I had, when I was sort of trying to get things cleaned out, I had given him my collection of the fanographic paperback reprints of the Popeye Daily Strips. And when I was up there, I was like, hey, man, can you can you lend those to me? Because I really need them, you know. Um, like a few things like that where it's... But I'm gen- genuinely so glad to not be reading and having to keep track of physical comics it's really i was bad at it i mean and that's kind of the thing lee it kind of depends on 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 your approach because i feel like people who are really good about keeping their comics like organized and cataloged and they're aware of what they have and where to find it and they also kind of read their comics when they come out or they you know even if they have like a little to read pile by the bed it's exactly that like a little to read pile and they can sort it and read three or four issues at a go of a title like then maybe physical comics still like really works for you and i think there's also the thing that's crazy about digital comics is depending on what you use um the buy-in for digital comics can be kind of steep 
Like, I know that, Graham, you had a lot of problems reading Comixology stuff when you had it sideloaded on your Kindle Fire, right? No, I had a lot of problems reading Marvel Unlimited stuff. Oh, Marvel Fire. Unlimited. Because okay. obviously Kindle being an Amazon product, I don't have to sideload. It's it's right there. Right. right. I, I and it works pretty like, well. Yeah, I actually have great Comixology on, on the Kindle. Oh, great. And it's just out of curiosity that to, to, you know, cause I'm Mr. like run out the clock whenever possible. What are, is, is that your primary digital reading, um, device? Or I thought yes. you had, okay, cause for a while you had, I was had using grabbed an your iPad. Fire. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. I was using an iPad for Marvel Unlimited. Mm-hmm. But I used Kindle for Comixology. Right. Cause you could buy through the Kindle app, through the Comixology app on Kindle. Mm, got it. Oh, interesting. Of course you can. Oh, so you can, of course, shop in there and buy. That's what I'm saying. Cause nice. Because it, it's, it's Amazon, Amazon. Oh, of course. They're like, you know, oh, which, yeah, which yeah. really does, like, change things, I think. Yeah. Because I, I think having the extra barrier on an, uh, an Apple device is a problem. It is. I think it's a, I think it's a problem for a lot, for a lot of people. That being, and the fact that there's a high buy-in rate. But for me, who does not mind, like, Basically, getting up on Wednesday morning before I go to work and buying my comics, and of course I've got subscriptions, and then you know where they've already pre-purchased, and then once I get to work with the work Wi-Fi, it just takes, you know, two minutes to literally to download, you know, half a dozen titles onto the iPad, um, and also of course you know the iPad Pro that I picked up. It looks beautiful. It's got a ton of storage. I'm really, really happy with it. But, you know, it's expensive as crap. Like, so I think the, 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 the trick with digital is, is that the buy-in costs are kind of potentially high or depending on what you want to use can be kind of exasperating because it's like, it's clear now the Kindle Fire has got a great advantage for Comixology, but a huge kind of at a disadvantage with something like Marvel Unlimited. But if once you clear that hump, I'm kind of shocked by how much A, I've been hitting stuff up on Hoopla, and B, how much it's really become my go-to recommendation for people, you know? Hoopla? Yeah, because I think it's kind of like... It's not super extensive as far as um, as Marvel stuff goes. It can be kind of hit or miss or spotty, but it's a fabulous resource for DC stuff. And it, image, it really is, you know, and Archie and um, foreign like some foreign editions, like uh, you know stuff. It's just it's got a great spread. And thanks to the the miracle of it being tied to the library system, it it's free. So that's pretty significant. But then I'm really just sort of in the tank for digital these days. I mean, as everyone knows, but like I was actually surprised that I was kind of like, oh, the Comixology originals are all available to read for free on Comixology Unlimited. And of course it makes sense that they would do that because that's something they want to promote but i was like oh so now i just got a whole bunch of other comics that i can read um you know for what's a what's a what i think is an extremely affordable monthly rate so uh so lee i don't know what to tell you i think it really depends on how much do those things 
matter to you. I've got a friend who for years just could not make the jump to digital because it felt weightless. Like, and there was something about having the comic book in his hands and having the feel of the object um, that a lot of people still swear by. But for someone I, like... I, I, I love print. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, much more than you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got rid of essentially my entire collection when I moved to the States. Mm-hmm. And I can count on probably one hand the number of things I actually miss. And in most cases, it's because it hasn't been released digitally or, or right. in a collected edition. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. I mean, the only thing that I think is really hard for me, and again, the the opening anecdote about the 24 trades probably underlines this, and I know that you and I have said this on a previous episode, if DC just priced their non-current issues at like 99 cents instead of a buck 99, I would be throwing money at them hand over fist, you know? Um, but as it is, it's kind of like, I'll wait till stuff goes on sale or DC are the guys where it's like, I don't know, the majority of my book subscriptions now, like what I, you know, what I get subscribed to for, on Comixology is I think mostly image and DC stuff, you know, um, and, and, and a light smattering of Marvel. Um, so yeah, it's weird. Uh, I, so there's a lot to it's it's real. I feel Lee, the fact that you're asking two podcasters who both ditched their physical collections. I think you know what the answer is <laughs> that you want to hear from us. I just don't necessarily know whether you would believe it, you know, which is kind of if nothing else, getting rid of all your physical comics and then starting to hunt down and rebuy the stuff that you really miss uh, can be fun, especially because I feel like it's not nearly as expensive as it used to be, like, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago, you know? It, that's completely true. I, I, I say that as, like, I say the things I miss. Mm-hmm. It's because, like, I went back and I got all the Micronauts issues and I got all the Levis Legion issues. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like... There really is a minimal amount now, but you like you've seen my collection. My collection, my physical collection, is relatively small. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's and and in many cases, in those two cases, for that matter, mm-hmm. um, one of the reasons I want print is that the the physical thing is is part of the nostalgia. Mm-hmm. So I I think I honestly think uh, Lee that the answer is like if you feel like you can't do without it, then you can't do without it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, then get rid of it. Yeah. Well, I yeah, I think that's it. I, I, I mean, again, and part of me is like, I don't know, I, but I don't know. I also am really aware of how, what a massive um, undertaking it was getting rid of my comics and, and, and how many feels uh, I had as a result. So that's, it's. it's even if you want to do it, and I did want to do it, I really, really did. It still sometimes it sure didn't feel easy. So, but but as someone on the other side of that hump, I'm incredibly grateful. Oh my God, really grateful. 
Oh, Graham McMillan. Okay, so, uh, uh, so we've got, we've got like, what, I don't know, three, three more questions. So, whoa, wow, okay, I didn't look down there. Yeah, yeah, we have, we have a lot of questions, Jeff, so we should really speed up. Okay, okay, right. <laughs> like, we have a lot of questions. Okay. Uh, let's, okay, let's go through them quickly. You ready? No, I, I'll try. <laughs> K. Jeffrey Peterson says, what do you think of the numerous similarities between Stan Lee and Donald Trump? Would the world be better if Trump had gone into publishing and Lee into politics? Huh. Uh, yes. Well, that's not true. I, the real answer to that question is, how bad would Stanley be at politics? The world would inevitably be better if Donald Trump had gone into publishing because then he wouldn't be president. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, uh, maybe I'm just sort of a naive, but Graham, how, how, how are they, um, how are they similar apart from I'm, the fact I'm, that they're I'm sort of self-aggrandizing, mm-hmm. uh, slightly dottiness of them. I wouldn't say they're particularly similar either, to be perfectly honest with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is kind of a shame is just this idea that um, Stan is... Because I, I got to tell you, I there is something weird about the idea that, that Lee is so at the mercy of people right now and everyone is like even the whole like him going on twitter and being like no i'm fine and i hate the false media of like the hollywood reporter yeah it was like and the fact that the photos that he's posting that show him good and healthy yeah like everything about it is like all those little danger flags that were sent up like months ago it's like in full tilt alarm like this is a guy who has no one looking out for him is incredibly old has a lot of money can is being exploited and it just seems i'm fascinated by how much it is a weird um it just it's the kind of thing that you would read about in a novel you know what I mean? Like, here's a guy who, in Sean Howe's book, talks about Marvel again and again and again and again like a family, but then doesn't actually necessarily... I mean, he's warm to people, but he doesn't really do much to help them or save them from the the way of the world as it is. And by the way of the world, I mean the way of the comics publishing industry as it is. He's just kind of like, eh... To the point where he's kind of, when he, you know, goes and gives that speech for the comics professionals in like 71 or whatever, he's like, get out of the industry. Don't stay in the industry. Like, and this is, this is Lee at the height of his success, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the contrast of once his wife dies, his daughter, who is way, like, that whole situation is way more of a mess than ever could have been expected because he's literally estranged from his own daughter who also is interested apparently in exploiting him and getting her money um, just launches him into this world of people who claim to care about him but are only interested in exploiting him It, it feels like the sort of thing that a modern novelist would be like Yes, this is a very cruel extension of my themes, you know? And it's it's depressing as hell. There's nothing that is at all 
satisfying about it. It's just kind of ghastly, you know. And mm-hmm. the flip side of that is is that Trump is I don't know. Like the flip side is is that I feel like Trump is somebody who even as he is ex- being exploited, he is someone who is very actively exploiting at the same time. Like, yes. you know, and so at every stage... Trump is stage, not someone that you really think of as a victim. And no. at this point, I only think of Stanley as a victim. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Stands at the point, and who knows, maybe at 20 years. I mean, the fact of the matter is when you're 93, like, who knows what you can really... But, you know, I'm fasc- I'm fascinated to the extent to which Stan went to Hollywood and literally just did not know kind of what the fuck he was doing and seems which seems really consistent you know there's that weird change in the wire where um stringer bell has basically been at the top of his game as a drug kingpin and he makes the point to move into legitimate business in Baltimore and he, he sort of hooks his wagon to sort of a professional fixer who's like, yeah, I'm going to like show you the people to meet. I'm sure going to show you what to invest and I'm going to help you be respectable. And Stringer is not a dumb person, but he gets ripped off. Like there's a whole nother level of con that he's just not familiar with because it's literally, it's not, it's not his world. He doesn't. He wasn't raised in it. He doesn't know it. He didn't. Ha- he didn't learn it the way that he learned the drug trade. And I sort of feel that you know, Lee's transition from the world of kind of New York comic publishing to Hollywood sycophantic, you know, guys on the hustle, you know, is something that he just I don't think that he was really ever really kind of prepped for you know so and again part of me is like I I I I don't know again part of me is like I feel like you could you know compare and contrast that for to Donald Trump for five extra credit points I guess but it just I don't know I have to say that I feel terrible about both Stanley and Donald Trump right now and what's happening to them, uh, and and what? Do like, I, do you like not, Trump? Not not what's happening to them. I should say what's happening around them. You know what I mean? Like Trump is like, I just read about each of them and I get vi- almost violently depressed, but for completely different reasons. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that 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 seems that seems right. Um, I can't imagine Stanley in politics at all. I, I I don't I think for all of his hucksterism mm-hmm. I think he he like I think he has an eagerness to please which is actually far stronger than Trump's. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, and exactly. so he he would just he would sink like a stone. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I I think. But again, you know, Stan's got twenty what twenty five years on Trump, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. twenty years at least. Yeah. So maybe I'm looking at it from the point of view of like, I mean, let's face it, Stan is like a frail old man who is 
not really there right now. He's not really there. And, and he's I, and essentially I like, blind, I'm, and you know. Yeah, and, and maybe I'm I'm like I'm too I'm thinking too much about like that Stan and the Stan of the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, the like comes on, does a, a shitty line, and then disappears, mm-hmm. as opposed to like you know the shitty Stan of like Marvel at its prime. Mm-hmm. But even the shitty Stan of Marvel at its prime seemed more lucky and inept and shitty than than Trump. Well, see, that's it. it I, like, I feel like Lee was shitty, but his... his it's so funny. It's like, his if he was... He, I don't think of him really as evil, or if, his, if he was evil, it was like the evilness of neglect, I suppose. Like, yeah, the it's, kind it's of... Like, it's like... He's sort of like lazily evil. Yeah. Like he's evil because he never stood up to do the right thing. Right. He's he's kind of evil in the way that most of us, like the future may regard the majority of us as evil. Like a combination exactly. of lazy and cowardly and a little too busy, you know? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and whereas, whereas you look at stuff that Trump was doing, which was literally bankrupting um, – you know, individual contractors back in New Jersey by Tr- like... Trump's always been proactively evil in yeah. a way that mm-hmm. like uh, Stanley never has been. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. So, so uh, I'm, I, yeah, I think, I'll, I think again, I think we're kind of rejecting the premise of the question. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry about that, KJP. But by all means, let jump in on the comments and and uh, let us know what, kind of where you saw the similarities were, or similarly, all the rest of you, the you crazy goofy listener types, Offendi, Excelsior. Raphael Duffy asks, kind of a selfish question, and I know you've answered it before, but it's quick. For people who have never read UK comics before, what's a good slash fast way to get into 2080 since Graham is raving about it? Uh, probably Dread. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if into Dread, uh, let's see. Depends what you're looking for in Dread, to be perfectly honest. Um, if you're looking for, like, the politics of Dread, I'd say either Judge Dread Origins or the America graphic novel. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for, like, the mythology of Dread, uh, I'd go back to Douglas Wolk's favorite suggestion, which is Judge Dread Case Files, Volume 5. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for contemporary dread, I'd probably go for uh, I'd probably go for Every Empire Falls from from last year, mm-hmm. the collection of the like Dread's Dead, which you know you know he's not by now anyway. So like it, it does like that part of the mythology doesn't matter, but it's a super solid uh, thriller that explains quite a lot about the the dreads world the dread mythology and gives you everything you need to know in that book mm-hmm. for it to be a, a coherent reading experience mm. um if not dread it depends what you're looking for from 2000 ad i would recommend strontium dog but that's just because i really love strontium dog uh, and i'd recommend that you start with the second volume of the case files for strontium dog hmm. um and what, Jeff, help out. What else would you suggest? Well, I, I, again, this is kind of one of those weird things where I feel like Dread is, is a pretty decent entrance. Um, this is going to sound really crazy, but like if you can, if you can afford it and you've got it on digital, like I subscribed to 2000 AD digitally through the iPad and did that for a couple of years until I sort of 
fell off the wagon and got behind. And, and that really kind of opened my eyes a lot. Um, and particularly, I think if you subscribe to it in like at six months at a go or something, they give you a decent enough discount. Um, cause that sort of the, the thing about 2000 AD is, is that it's such a, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a comic book universe that's a slot machine, you know? It's like you never necessarily know what's going to come up or what you're going to like when you're trying to enter it. Like it's all the it's multifaceted, but it's also kind of so 2000 AD is kind of like where you like every week you kind of, you know, pull the one-armed bandit's arm and and what comes up are you know three or four different choices and at some point something clicks and i think also there's a lot to be said for two one of 2000 ad's great strengths is as as the overall effect of an anthology where it's kind of like there's usually something really good that you probably will be reading the last part of on your first issue and then something that's kind of okay, something you're not sure about, and then something that just seems terrible that people seem to love for no reason that you can discern whatsoever. And then as you go through it long enough, there is that weird dopamine hit where suddenly two or three things come along that you really like, and suddenly you're like, oh my God, I cannot wait until next week, and I get to read the next little installments of each of these. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think the advantage to that is is that it also kind of helps you discover what you're into. Like, I'm not really that into Stronium Dog yet, although I did end up eventually reading a good serial that was kind of, which might have been the death of Johnny Alpha or something like that, but where I was like, oh, this is pretty good. I'm into this and I want to go back and read this, but... I mean, it's hard for me. I can just turn around and and just start yelling out favorites, which you know is really easy. Like I think I think that Rogue Trooper is still one of the great comic book ideas, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you know, I don't necessarily know if that means that it's going to fry your burger. So well, that's just it. Like it's it really is a you know what do you like? Because for example. Nemesis Warlock never clicked with me. Right. Which but I could be exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Nicolai Dante or Sinister Dexter. Yeah. You know, there's, there's all this, there, there is a variety of, of material in there mm-hmm. that it's like, well, you know, it depends what you like. If you're looking for a taste of quote unquote 2080, yeah. I would recommend two things. One, go for a dread collection. Or two, if you're buying digitally, go onto the 2000 AD store and buy one of the year-end specials. Oh, that's not bad. They do like 100-page specials at the end of the year, every mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And it is generally either one-off strips or the first episodes of serials. Mm-hmm. And they are great samplers mm-hmm. for the anthology whole. And you can probably get, I want to say it's like 3 or $4. Mm-hmm. Uh, for one of those samplers, it's probably more. I could be entirely wrong, and maybe it's seven. But again, it's 100 pages. You know what else I think is a good suggestion also, uh, Raphael, is 
just do a little bit of research online and basically what I would do is you know make a list of British writers that you like and then go and research what they liked in 2000 AD because I feel like 2000 AD was such a strong influence on everyone but not necessarily in the same place and for the same reasons so Mm -hmm. you know if you're a big Garth Ennis fan for example like Ennis will has definitely talked in interviews about what his favorite period of dread is or which stuff really worked for him. Because, again, part of me is like, if you're asking me, I really love the early berserk 70s style stuff that comes, that flows right out of action. So I'm like, yeah, like Sharko and Mach 1 and... You know, Hookjaw, which is back in action, you know, but that's not really the same stuff as what you're going to end up seeing. It's a, that's a real far cry from something like Nikolai Dante, which people right? adore and, and is just never really fried my burger at all. Exactly. Yeah. It, there, there is so much stuff in there that's really difficult to say offhand, like what is going to work for you and what isn't. Mm-hmm. But there's, but the flip side of that is there's so much in 2008 that there's almost definitely something that you'll love. Yes. Yeah, that you'll you'll actually become a surprisingly passionate fan of. Moving on, Simon Russell. Are most open brackets all question mark close brackets of superhero comics poorer for the loss of thought bubbles? Hint: It means done in one stories are harder to do, less compact. Character developments is massively truncated, and everything is so blooming serious all the time. Yeah, I I think you have a I think you have an answer to that question yourself, Simon. <laughs> Just, just guessing. <laughs> just throwing that out there. Um, I, I do miss thought bubbles. I, I have to say that. Mm-hmm. I do too. I, I, I miss them a lot. Uh, and I think that it's kind of for all the reasons that you say, you know, Simon. On the other hand, um, how do I put it? There's a lot of one of the things that I like mentioning reading Werewolf by Night. Uh, one of the things I found really interesting. I know I mentioned it last week, but I'll, I'll probably revisit it super, super quickly, is the way that Doug Munch uses um, narrative captions in both Werewolf by Night and Master Kung Fu, but pretty much for entirely different reasons. Um, and as far as I know, at least when I got through the, the epic collection where things are kind of bubbling, um, Munch uses... Uh, the captions much more like we see the captions used today in that the character it's it's used to flesh out the character who's narrating it's usually the main character um and people seem to prefer that to thought balloons nowadays and i think one of the big advantages to thought balloons back then is is that you could have you could get inside other people's heads and you could sort of amp up the the conflict of where things are going and in a way that's very different from the way that, you know, comics and movies are basically told now. That being said, one of the things that was really rough and again, seen in Werewolf by Night where there are both narrative captions and uh, thought balloons is is that more often than not, captions then in, in Werewolf by Night are kind of used to let you know what's happening in the story like kind of there's 
there's a strong element in comics that come out of radio. Like if you read like old EC comics and things like that, the the narrate the which are very heavy on the caption boxes, there's a lot of narration to and it's used to provide atmosphere and ambience, but it is also a way of guiding you through the story. I would love to see thought balloons used by somebody nowadays who isn't just using them to more or less correct what's happening in the art or to adjust character motivation the way that Stan would do when he felt like Jack was making Captain America act like a little too weak or seemingly cowardly or anything other than amazingly heroic. Um, I'd like to see some sort of nuance to that, but but I also feel that when you do it, you really risk also intruding on the art, I guess, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I think it's, I as we're having this conversation, I'm literally going, I feel like I read something recently where they were using thought balloons in a really interesting way, like a recent comic. Yeah. And I can't for the life of me think what it is. And, and that's, that's particularly frustrating. Instead, I will point to a, a, a favorite of Wade Bot, mm-hmm. um, Steve Englehart. Right. I think Steve Englehart used Top Balloons really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he did, uh, he basically used them for subtext a lot. Mm-hmm. Where, where you would have characters say the traditional line and then you'd have them undercut it or support it. Right. With their thought balloon. Right. Uh, and why this is prominent in my head right now is, I don't know if you saw Jeff, but the first 14 issues of his Silver Surfer showed up in Marvel Unlimited this week. Ooh. Yeah, I think I did. And I haven't, I haven't read that stuff since it came out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's been fascinating going back to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but it's, it's prime Engelhart. Mm-hmm. And it's prime Engelhart in his like mid 80s, I am fascinated by the comics language, and that includes using thought balloons as meta text. Interesting element, and it, it and there, he does some really great stuff with the thought balloons in there. Hmm. That that I, that I really appreciate. Not least of which is he picks up on all the scroll stuff from the the Fantastic Four Avengers annuals, mm-hmm. and because all the scrolls are stuck in whatever form they were when the bomb went off, mm-hmm. he has a lot of scrolls who are like tables. Or plants, mm. and so you'll see a scene, and then the, the the panel will sort of move towards the table, and the table will be like, "Very interesting." I'll have to report back. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that shit. I really do. I love the idea that, like, out of nowhere, you have the thought balloons of what is theoretically an inanimate object is really an alien, but it, you know, it, it's just you know, even taken out of context, that stuff is hilarious. Well, one you of know? the things that I actually love about having read, like. Thank God, you know, they kept dropping all those West Coast Adventures collections uh, onto digital recently and so inexpensive. Uh, is that Englehart, especially I feel in the more in the 80s, one of the things that's great about his use of thought balloons is, is that they're almost always used to um, he always uses them to underline the internal conflict of the characters. You know, um, yeah. which doesn't sound like that's what you're talking about in Silver Surfer, but for the most part, well, no, like he, he those, definitely, and he definitely does that in mm-hmm. Silver Surfer, like, so, especially with Norrin. Yeah, 
Right. So there's very much, and I think that that's actually pretty great because again, you get this idea of like, here's a character who is saying something and what they're thinking is, and it, it really does help ramp up that, that soap opera aspect, but I feel in a good way, but literally of like in West Coast Avengers, you have characters who are torn. They're always Englehart always has all the characters more or less moving in two directions. There's the one thing that they're drawn toward or they, that they need, they want to uphold, but also where they're moving. Like Tigra's, her constant level of where she's like trying to be, she, she's being torn between her human self and the, the cat self. And so it causes her to be promiscuous and she's filled with guilt. But at every stage, you see her in scenes where she is saying something, and in her head, she's like, I'm a horrible human being. And what's amazing is is the person who's having those things said to them are are like, I'm so happy. And inside, they're like, wait, but what is she really telling me kind of thing? And it's just, man, I love that stuff. It's kind of, it's like if we did, if you know, live theater without the asides. I, I mm-hmm. really miss it. And I would love to see people return to it in a nuanced way. Cause I feel, I feel like I know what you're saying. I'm sort of, part of me was like, when you were like, um, like, I feel like someone's using those. I'm like, Oh, right. Didn't I see that in like, I feel I keep wanting to say something like Mark Russell's Snagglebuss or something. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, uh, what is funny is I know it's a recent comic because one of the things I thought when I saw it was, Digital comics has never worked out how to do good balloon thought balloons. Mm. I've mm. never seen a good thought mm. balloon that drawn digitally. Right, right. Interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. So I don't know. I I personally think that it. Oh, can I talk super quickly? I know. Again, running out of time. I do want to mention. Uh, you mentioned the meta. I'm not necessarily so impressed with, uh, to go back to speaking about Comixology Originals and uh, the first four issues of Super Freaks. Like, I made it about halfway through the first issue because it's like 41 pages. I love the meta setup of Super Freaks. Um, are you familiar with it, Graham? Or I've not read it, so no. So the idea is is that it they're super teams, but uh, essentially what happens the the backstory is is that this basically this magic vw van shows up and starts anointing people with superpowers like back in the 60s um and essentially you get all these superheroes and then as more time goes on um uh, younger and younger people are also given superpowers but essentially the superheroes that already are um, are unwilling to more or less give up the spotlight. And so the the superheroes who come later are sort of relegated into the role of sidekicks. And the the kick of this the series, the the spin is one day all of the older superheroes have suddenly disappeared and it's up to the sidekicks to step in and the world that's used to relying on these older, more traditional classic heroes are much more suspicious of these new heroes. And of course, the new heroes are, you know, more likely to be people of color, different body types, et cetera, et cetera. And I I really love the meta aspect of how much it's 
the millennials and the baby boomers, um, but it also comments on the shit that's going on with Marvel, literally about, you know, new characters of color and the more traditional characters that, you know, continue to hog the spotlight. Um, I just thought, particularly intertwining those, the boomers and millennial angle, was mm-hmm. very clever. Uh, I'm not really sure if the execution is going to pan out, but in terms of someone who's like, well, I like your approach here, I'm going to keep trying keep at it to see if the meta gets better, I suppose. Meta gets better. More more meta blues? I don't know. There's gotta be there's gotta be a better pun in there. Anyway, I just want to throw it in and of course we can move on because I'm I'm going to destroy everything by talking too much. Don White says See I'm not even going to just moving on. Yep. Dan White says, Could you please fantasy cast the following two thousand eighty movies? Strontium Dog uh, Gruffrey's from Super Animals as Johnny. Zenith. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I was like, Strontium Dog. I'm like, Jason Statham. <laughs> no! He, okay, he could be Wolf. Oh, there I want to see go. Jason Statham's uh, Viking. <laughs> I want to see Jason Statham call people Cucumber in a Scandinavian accent. That would be gr- oh, he's not going to do an accent. What are you talking about? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Zenith. Uh Zenith. Wow, well, that's interesting. Who would you? Because you kind of need to have someone who's kind of got that kind of. Oh fuck it, Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber is there. <laughs> there you go. Sure, there you go. You need someone who can act, and I'm like, ah, I was going to oh, say the I kid from the end know. of the fucking world, but I don't know. You know, he's actually he's great, but he can't he can't do the the swagger. Be interesting well, maybe, to see maybe who he can to do he's the an swagger. Actor. He is exactly right. Haven't seen it yet, so who can tell? Yep. Um, Nemesis. I have no fucking idea. Nemesis should be CGI. Well, see, it'd be CGI, but then who are you going to get to do the voices? Well, but also like who's who's uh, Torquemada? Who's who's Purity? I would love uh, Ian McKellen to be Torquemada. I can see that. Yeah, and then for the voice, who who I would actually get to be the voice of Nemesis? Mm, it would be. Uh, I don't know. I'm like Mark Strong. Like I don't know. It's there's got to be someone who can really do the. Maybe Mark Strong wouldn't be bad. He kind of did the voice of Sinestro. You know who's the guy who's doing the 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 awesome voiceover speak in the the latest Mission Impossible trailer? Do you know who that actor I have is? Absolutely no idea. Because he 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 did a pretty great job with his voice in terms of being both kind of weirdly. I, I'm not e- I'm not even sure I've seen shaky. it. I'm gonna watch it right now. Oh my god. Okay. And then Rogue Trooper. Hmm. See, the great thing is, is we get to do because I really do feel that for 2000 AD movies, you got to do it Harry Potter style, where it's just all British casts like all the time. Um. Again, Rogue Trooper, because I have to tell you, the amount of time that I've spent thinking about Rogue Trooper as a TV show is kind of um, disquieting. I really have to say that there there's a lot of a lot of time spent on that. For, but Rogue Trooper is a movie. You know, I just had that weird thing of like, I'm like, oh, I don't know, Benedict Cumberbatch, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't oh, no, no, exactly, oh, right? No. That would be awful. Um. 
because again, there's kind of that that sort of. Benedict Cumberbatch for Zenith. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Like, I, I, oh shit! I suddenly thought, who would be who would be Peter Sinjin in, uh, in Zenith? Uh, mm. Oh shit! I don't know. Maybe maybe you could get Benedict Cumberbatch. Right. right? Yeah, yeah. That's actually not maybe, a bad maybe, idea. Yeah, maybe he's a bit young, but uh, who knows? Um, Rogue Trooper. Who Rogue Trooper? Fuck. Oh wait, I've got it. I've almost. What? Well, actually, I don't know if I have it. Um. Ah shit. shit, shit, shit. Give me a second. It's almost here. Um. It it would be uh. I would love to have to have um. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya, you know Kaluuya. Uh, oh, you, sure, the, okay. The Get Out guy, he would be yeah, awesome. Yeah, who, who's as also in in Black Panther. Exactly, he he yeah. would be. He's such an amazingly good actor. He would be great for Rogue. And then you know you just sort of like pepper it with like amazing um, British actors to do the voices of the chips of the chips. Yeah, I also have to say because. Um, Edie finally acquiesced, and we're watching that show that you hate, Black Mirror. And uh, Toby Kebbell is fucking awesome. He's such a good actor. And, of course, he does so much motion capping work, you know. I mean, he was poor, poor guy. He was Dr. Doom. But I would think that he would also be excellent um, as in one of these damn movies, but I don't know as who or, or for who, like maybe yeah. he wouldn't be bad as nemesis if you, if you couldn't get away with the, the other guy. So cause, cause he can, he can definitely do kind of weirdo evil badass. And it might be fun to see him do something where he's also a sympathetic evil badass, I guess. People loved him in the, the Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah, he was great in it. He's so goddamn good in that. And of course, so many people don't really keep aware of it, but yeah, oh my god, we're rewatching that, that Black Mirror episode. Ugh, it'd be great. Yeah. Oh, you should get the Peep Show guys to be the chips. At least two of the chips. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, Richard Ioadi could be the third one. Ooh! Oh god, you're right. Man, people would be all over that. That would be that'd be kind of amazing. Ah, and then Bad Company. I just don't know enough about Bad Company still. Have you never read Bad Company? No, I don't think so. No. Oh, Jeff, you'd really, really, really like probably just the early stuff, the first and second series. Right. But yeah, because uh, it kind of goes a bit off into like Peter Milligan's very peculiar wheelhouse after that, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, that's first, the interstellar series, trucking I, company guys. No, 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 no. Bad company is the intergalactic war. Oh, right. It's, it's, it's Milligan and, and Ewan's and Jim McCarthy doing the intergalactic war. You're thinking of Ace trucking company. That is what I'm thinking of. Yes. Thank you. Um, and, and, but uh, Tom Hardy, just make Kano Tom Hardy. That's, that's, Probably. Oh, there you go. Why wasn't well, I thinking of Tom? Yeah, Tom Hardy. Man, I gotta tell you, Tom Hardy would probably gladly play all of these characters. Tom Hardy would probably like love to be Rogue Trooper. Let's be perfectly honest. I think you're right, actually. I think he would totally be into Rogue Trooper. So, although he could also be, I think he would also be into Nemesis a lot too. Although I don't know about the whole CGI thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Anyway, Steve Morris asks rabbits. And I'm going to take the incredibly controversial opinion and say yes. Graham? You know what? I'm going to say yes, too. I am pro-rabbit. 
Uh, I had a rabbit as a child. Did you? Miffy the rabbit, yeah. Wait, what's, what was it? Miffy? Miffy. M-I-F-F-Y. Wow. Which is like the name of a, a, I want to say it's a cartoon rabbit or something in the UK. Definitely, I'm not the only person that did Miffy, and I want to say Miffy is the cartoon rabbit in the UK. People who are listening to this in the UK, I'm not imagining this, right? There is a cartoon rabbit called Miffy. I hope. Someone, someone back me up in this, please. By the way, um, in case you're interested, um, I'm willing to PayPal $2 American to anyone who's willing to write in and say that Graham is insane and that that, that <laughs> does not exist. I think I, I'll cap that at like 10 people, but first 10 people who wow, want to okay, say that Graham. Cool. Mm-hmm. People. People from Britain, you earn some American money. Some hardcore American, yeah. while well, it's still worth something. Um, well, is it though? <laughs> is it though? But yeah, I, I guess we're pro rabbit. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? A pro rabbit podcast? Yeah. Lee Carriass. Bravely, Graham, a which... bravely pro rabbit podcast. I would, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Lee Carriass, Graham, which Jack Kirby character do you think Jeff most resembles, and vice versa? Jeff. I think you most resemble. Wait, physically resemble or See, like? Isn't it weird? I had that same thing of like <clears throat> physically resemble uh, or internally phys- resemble. Physically resemble. Uh-huh. You're Steppenwolf. <laughs> uh, internally re- resemble. You are, and I can't. Oh, Hyman. That's that's who I'm thinking of. Oh, that's very nice. That's very funny. Internally. That's so funny because I think that I, I had you pegged as Scott Free internally and then I'll take it. Yeah, right? Sadly not physically. I don't have the sideburns, I don't have the hair. I wish I had both. Yeah. But I don't. Well, and then physically I was gonna say like um ah, is it is it is it Monkey Flashman? <laughs> no, no, what's his name? Bedlam. Right? The guy who, like... Um, oh, God! Um, Baron Bedlam? Baron? No, not Baron Bedlam. Not uh, who's who's the guy who, like... Um, can... Dr. Bedlam. Yes, Dr. Bedlam. The guy who can possess different bodies, like, yes. with his... Wow, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's sort of bald-ish and kind of, you okay. know... You're going to have to put pictures of this character in the show note up. <laughs> I never really why I'm quite so offended by this. You compared me to Steppenwolf. I don't really think that I... It's the yeah. facial hair. Uh, you're just being generous. I basically on. look like every bum that Kirby has ever drawn, essentially. So, But, yeah. Um, I think I feel like I like Commandy's grandfather, maybe. <laughs> Which is so sad. I, I, no, I think you should take that. No, 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 all right. Take that as a compliment to yourself that it is, Jeff. Well, thank you. And then would you, how about for yourself, Graham? Who would you pick for your own external pick for yourself? Uh, I, it's funny, as we were talking, I was like, wait, am I Desad? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Desad definitely, there's a hair thing and a greasy factor and. Hey, no, trust no, 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 no. me, if I, if I let, what little hair I had grow out, I totally have that like hair thing for Desat. Oh my god! Yeah, okay. I've got I've got the like, the little island of hair that's in front of my head, Jeff. Graham. As long as I'm spending lots of money, I will pay you twenty dollars American to actually grow your hair out for that. Cause nope, that's not, it's not happening. It's oh, not happening. Man. Never. I wouldn't even do it for twenty five. <laughs> That's commitment, people. That's commitment. 
Um, okay. Wow, this is definitely the 2000 AD question cast, isn't right? it? Right? Mm-hmm. There, there's, there's more after this. Mm-hmm. Tom Shavira asks, if you had to staff 2080 with American creators, who would work on what strips? Um, I am super, and I've not read it, I know it came out this week, but I'm super into the idea of Mark Russell doing Judge Dredd. So I'd oh, probably right. stick him on Judge Dredd. Right, that seems like uh, and a I've, really and smart I've, idea. I've not read that comic yet, so mm-hmm. for all I know it's terrible. But I li- I'd like the idea enough. Yeah. Um, I would do Tom King and Rogue Trooper. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Okay. I would do... Uh, uh, Rogue Trooper would be illustrated by Francis Manipal, by the way. Oh, nice. Um, who would draw Dread? What American artists would I like to see draw Dread? That's a really good question. Hmm. I don't know. I'm 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 coming up blank with that actually. Uh, Dennis Cohen with Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh man, yeah, that could be great. Mm-hmm. That'd be nice. Uh, I'm, I I. Greg Rucka doing Invasion. Oh, yeah. That'd be fun. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? I think that would be kind of cool. I think he'd be into it. Of course, he would turn old what's-his-name into uh, a lesbian. Bill, Bill Savage would, would become Elizabeth Savage. Elizabeth Savage, exactly. A hard-drinking lesbian. But that's totally cool. That would also work. So, um, um, I, Let's see. Who would do what else? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's actually a tough one. It's a tough one, like trying to cast particular series, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of tough, especially considering some of the series that are. And also, it's so funny because, of course, so many. I I thought it would be a real piss up to be like, oh yeah, okay, the American creators I'd want to see. I guess I'd want to see Al Ewing doing. Uh, right, exactly. And like, then you why could have Al Ewing do Zombo. Yeah, and have Dan Abnett. Like, get Dan Abnett in there. Get pull him off Aquaman and put him on like a a, a British strip and really see let's see him stretch himself. Um, yeah. So uh, I don't know. Um, part of me is kind of like, I it, it's amazing how Im, how much it sort of seems like an impoverished economy. You know, when you when you reverse the fields that way, but. You know, but I I don't really I, I, know that I'd that's like true. I'd like to see. You know, I'd like to see. I'd like to see Jeff Johns do Robo Hunter. You know, it's so funny you mentioned Jeff Johns because he was the first one that popped into mind of like, oh shit. And part of me is like, Ugh, Jeff Johns on 2000 AD stuff. I don't I don't know if he would be on Robo Hunter, huh? That's really funny. I think that Jeff Johns would totally be down with doing ABC Warriors. Actually, I think. Oh yeah, no, I I think I think he'd love that. Yeah, I think I think he'd be into it, and it might even be kind of decent or, or like a fun read. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, oh shit! You know who I'd have on uh, ABC Warriors, or maybe even Nemesis the Warlock? Mm. And this sounds like I'm taking the piss, and I promise you, I'm not. Rob Liefeld. Oh God! Yeah, no, I get it. I kind of get it. Um, Liefeld would be actually, you know, Liefeld. We don't like the strip, but Liefeld is kind of like just half a step away from drawing Slanye anyway, right? <laughs> like, isn't doesn't Prophet like his original Prophet basically looks it's like pretty much? Yeah, it's like science fiction. Yes, yeah. I love how you say Slanley. Yeah, Slanye, or however the hell it's supposed to be pronounced. Sorry, I, I still pronounce it Slane. Slane. So I, and I, know oh, thank God. I know that's how you're. I know that's not how you're supposed yeah, to. Yeah, I think it, I'm a little one hundred percent how I pronounce it. That's awesome. 
That's awesome. I'm I'm definitely pro that. Um, yeah, you know, uh, shit. I don't know. I I kind of had that moment of like, ooh, yes, get uh, ah, Nicholas Scott on Judge Anderson. She's she's Australian. She's not. She doesn't count. Mm, all right. I guess she doesn't count. Damn it. Well, um, shit. Ryan North on ABC. Oh, not on ABC. On Ace Trucking Company. Hmm. 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 I want to see Ryan North do space age comedy truckers. Yeah, right. I think that's great. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, you know, I think I. You know, I'm, you know, someone actually, I, you know, I, I, I'm kind of joking, but I'm also not. I would love to see Erica Henderson do a, a 2008 stroke. Oh yeah, 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 and yeah. Like yeah. anything she fucking wants, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think that would be great. Um, gosh, let me see. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna peek into the the world of graphic novels quickly because part of me is like, do something really dumb. Oh, clear clearly Jeff Johns would also be like, yeah. Once he finished ABC Warriors, he would like do a victory lap with Judge Death. Clearly, um, <laughs> uh, no Judge Death. Uh, Death. I want to give to Lisa Hannawalt. Oh wow, that's that's really funny. And I mean, I think I think that's I I'm like. Ah, uh, I don't like that idea, but it's probably a really good one, you know. I no, I don't want that. Yeah, um, exactly. Who else? Who else? And what else? I I can't think of a strip. I'd love to see Ben just try and write a two thousand D strip, and that's not sarcasm. I'd love to see what he did with the idea of a long form strip that he t- writes in five page chunks. That he would do in five page chunks, Jesus! I don't. I, I'd love to see what he it, did with that. It would be he. It would be great to see him try and change those gears. Um, right. Yeah. You know who I'd like to see draw one because I think they'd be great. I'd love to see Keith Giffen. I'd love to see Keith Giffen kind of do whatever he wanted on 2000 AD. Yeah. Because right. I think I yeah, think that, he would have a, a good a good I think it would be a good weird fit. So yeah. Jonathan Sapsid said, "Why did the British invasion happen in the eighties? Which country culture is best positioned to invade U.S. comics now?" In reverse order, I'm not sure that's even a thing anymore. I think the American comic industry is already pretty international. Mm-hmm. To the point where I can't, I don't think there's not a culture that's already been co-opted into American comics. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's probably true. I still feel like, I, I, I feel like the Japanese, there's still, there's still a chunk of Japanese culture that, you know what I mean? Like, they're kind of like, every once in a while, we sort of dip our toes in there, but it's such a, it's such a very different Industry. Oh, it's, it's, so, yeah, it's, it's so vast that, yeah. that, that it's not really been brought over full scale. It's, it's true. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't know to in, to actually invade, and I guess that means in the sense of like having the creators work on American titles the way that yes. it happened in the British yes. invasion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's... And, and I, I don't I don't think you can repeat that anymore because part of that whole thing was the the British invasion of the eighties, mm-hmm. where people were brought up reading those fucking comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like people who knew who Green Lantern were and were really into it, mm-hmm. and 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 were excited to work for Julie Schwartz because they knew who he was. Right. 
Do you know what I mean? But came in with different different uh, cultural influences on top of that. And I'm not sure that exists anymore. Not in, not kind of. I've sort of. I want to say like not quite in the same way. You know, like honestly, part of me wouldn't be surprised if there's a bunch of people who would be like, you know, sort of like that weird Avengers. Attack on Titan crossover thing where people are kind of like, like you see, there's all sorts of creators that are kind of like, oh, yeah, I'll try my hand at a Batman graphic album because there's a little bit of that idea of like, sure, I know who Batman is or, you know, thanks to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there might be a a stronger angle on that. But I don't I don't really know. I kind of think that I feel like that might be a possibility in another couple of years maybe honestly i would say the closest thing that we have to what country culture is best positioned to invade us comics now happened four or five years ago when you had a bunch of web comics creators web comic yeah. culture yeah. enter us comics mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. i think that's i think that's the closest that we can come to cuz you kind of basically have to have foment an actual culture you know, and I don't I don't necessarily know where that's where else that's happening in the world, apart from, again, that sort of shit happening in web comics and then and then entering the industry. So mm-hmm. I think you're totally right. Um, why did the British invasion happen in the 80s? Because honestly, I think 2008 was just a really good fucking showcase that had creators who were primed to work on American comics mm-hmm. all in the same place and yet paid them and treated them so shittily Yes, that when someone else came and said, I will offer you even a small amount more money yeah, that they were like, yes please. Right. Well, and I think I think that let's let's definitely underline that, that, that I think that that's super important is A 2000 AD created because it's kind of a lot of the British invasion wasn't so much first generation 2000 AD people, Wagner and Grant aside, but I feel like second and third and fourth no, generation. No, exactly. exactly. Well, if you think about like Mills and Wagner who created 2000 AD never really had like amazing American careers. No, no, they really didn't, which is astounding to me, but it also shows where's you get guys who came up. So I think there's something to be said for Essentially, you had the original creators for 2000 AD, and when it was a hit and the industry didn't treat them well, they more or less kind of walked off. And kind of like Marvel in the 70s, they had created so many fans who were so excited to work on those characters that they jumped in. And then when they realized that they weren't going to have the chance to really create anything without being screwed... Um, they were they were aware that it wasn't a great deal, um, and I think there's a lot to be said. The British invasion kind of happened because of Vertigo. Like I think I feel like a lot of the Brits well, who made the jump were not dumb. I mean, you know, on our end it happened because it was like, well, you get Alan Moore and then you get Neil Gaiman. But then by that point, like even relatively early on, quote unquote, early on and and. Alan Moore's career, DC is more or less talking and offering people create, well, actually 
both DC and Marvel have creator-owned contracts and companies available, they looked much more promising at that point than the British industry did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would put I would put it before Vertigo though, because for me the British invasion really is like the mid eighties, and well, Vertigo isn't around until like ninety one. It's true, which is why I had to revise it. But then DC was making noises and was sure. offering creative sure. own. So even though it wasn't codified as much in Vertigo, that was still a possibility through um, DC's various stuff and Marvel through Epic as well. Mm-hmm. You know? So so I think it's a real it's kind of that like, you know, 2000 AD creating that incredibly fertile culture and have it creating a generation of fans who are then like, hey, there's really nowhere to go with this. And like you said, and then there's like marginally, like the grass is slightly greener over in America. Seems a lot greener, you know. And then, so that's I think the other thing that's really problematic is is I don't know where or how those people are going to want to enter the market, you know, because it is kind of yeah, like exactly. It's it's like the other thing is not only like who is going to invade, but also why would they want to? Right. You know, because if if I was if I was a creator from somewhere and I wanted to invade, I wouldn't be looking at the direct market at all. Mm-hmm. I'd be looking at the bookstore market. I'd be like, how do I get to be Raina Telgmeier? Right, sure. Or like, how do I get in on, on the first second train? Or honestly, I really, I mean, who knows? But part of me is like, kind of like, I feel like most people, you would think, I I would think most cultures would look at The Walking Dead as you know as living the dream in a way that, that working on Superman or Batman really net, wouldn't be unless, you know, you grew up as as a fan, I suppose. You know, but, well... Dan Billings asks, and we have, like, five questions left. Right. Well, like, five questioners, but one of them is three questions. <laughs> But Jeff, we're going to do this. We're going to do all of them. We're I believe it. Quickly. We've still got lots of time. We, we're, 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 we're looking. We're lean, fighting lean here. Dan Billing says, "What price do you think a single floppy will cost in 2025?" <laughs> I'm going to say five dollars. Uh, uh, 2025? Jesus, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm honestly it's, not it's, even sure the world's going to be away. around in 2025. Oh, come on. Um, it's, five, it's seven years away. Seven years away. I think $5 makes sense. I think $5 makes a lot of sense. Part of me worries that it will be more than that by then. Because I think I can see... Yeah, I actually actually thought $5 might be too high. Oh, really? I thought it was too low. Well, well, if you think of it, Mm -hmm. if you think of it like DC really did, if the majority of the books is $2.99 for like 15 years. Well, and they're finally giving up on that. They finally are giving up on that. Sure, but it's taken this long. Well, so in but, seven years, are D- is DC going to have made the jump again? Uh, yeah, well, or are they still going to be $4? I don't know. I mean, so this I mean, is the Marvel, Marvel's almost certainly going to be $5. Oh, Marvel is pricing their books. The number of books that come out from them at like 8 or nine ninety nine, like I can see them being $7, honestly. Um, okay. But, and who knows how they'll do it to justify that. Like it'll be like digital... <laughs> And every issue is basically going to have like 40 pages of like reprint backup stories or something, but I think they'll do it. 
Max Blanchard asks a question which we actually answered in the last episode. Waffle window? God, yes. Yeah. Although, Graham, I have to say something. I realized my last trip to, to Portland, what's that? Is, is, cause you asked me at the last podcast, you're like, how many times did you go to the waffle window? And I was like, oh God, like, you know, three times or something like that. You said that. twice. Twice. twice okay. Yeah. Right. So I didn't go again before we left, but you know what I did do is I went to Blue Star Donuts, like, I think four times through that, that, that we Blue Star is the new Waffle Window? I don't think so. I don't think so because I do love Waffle Window, but Blue Star A is done a great job at like part of it was they have seven locations and so I was at so many like I hit three different Blue Star Donuts locations and then of course they've got a stall at the Portland Airport. So I had I literally had one half an hour before I left your goddamn city. So um You're welcome. Yeah. So Waffle Window, but oof. Blue Star and ah, oh, the chocolate buttermilk bergamot donut. Oh, have you had that yet, Graham? Uh I think so. So good. I'm not sure. Really good. Um, you'll have to put a link to Blue Star in the show notes so of people course. will know what we're talking about. Yeah, but I still love Awful Window. Still still love you guys. Although I wish Dark they expanded self- their savory a little bit. Like, I'm kind of like... I they... do. I actually feel they've actually pulled back on the savory. Mm-hmm. I, I think so, too. I feel less savory on the menu than there used to be. Mm-hmm. I agree, which is kind of a bummer, but perhaps understandable. Sorry. Darth Selfie asks... What Marvel character do you hope they never adapt for the MCU? Uh, Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> um, Howard the Duck, which I know is too late, but I hope they never do a Howard the Duck movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I can see that actually would kind of be a bummer, wouldn't it? Right. Um, I don't know. I have to say, like, uh, if we're not going to do Vision as Adam Warlock, I kind of don't want to see Adam Warlock. Um, You're going to be really upset when that third Guardians of the Galaxy film comes out. I know, I know. I got to see. It was interesting. I've seen a video online where somebody was talking about how much they loved Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and how much it was because it was so, um, everything was so thematically consistent about it. And I was like, ooh. Like, it was like a 23-minute video, too. And I made it about five minutes in, and I was like, yeah, I guess I see where you're going with this, but anyway, it was kind of an interesting point. She basically but do we have to go there? Yeah. The, well, the critic, the critics spent a lot of time talking about how essentially the the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is very thematically set about essentially how the importance of family and how it, uh, family keeps you from turning into essentially ego. So. Um, Anyway, it's worth seeing. I'll try and find it and see if I can post it in the show notes as well. So, Darcelfi's second question: If you weren't doing a podcast about comics, what would you be podcasting about? I that's a good question, Graham. You know, I think I feel like someone else asked this, and I kind of had that thing of like, I don't know if I would. I like. I mean, honestly, I would now that we're doing it, I, of course, would be like if suddenly some law passed and we couldn't podcast about comics, I would love to podcast about you with you about anything. I would honestly love to like oh, 
chat. Ah, no, I mean seriously, in the sense of like, I I have inordinately fond memories of our podcast episodes where we talked about our diets or what right. we were watching but, on t- TV or like. We spent... I okay, super quick digression, just because you said that. You've seen Killing Eve, right? I have not. Jeff, <laughs> you've seen Fleabag. We've talked about Fleabag before. Uh, yeah, yes. You know that Killing Eve is, is Phoebe Waller-Bridge's yes. spy show. Yeah, 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 exactly. I, I just... saw the first episode this week, and Jeff, it's fucking amazing. Yeah? I I, uh, hi, you, I highly recommend it to you. Okay. okay. I highly recommend it to you. Sadly, you have to pay for it right now. It's not on any streaming service. Oh, right. What's it on? Is it on Stars or some shit like that? No, what it's on BBC on... America. Oh, fucking BBC America. The goddamn cock blockers. Which means, sure, it, but it means if you wait, like, three months, it's going to be an Amazon Prime. Yeah, I suppose that's true. Okay. But, well, especially Jeff, since they have when it shows back. up. Yeah. Yes. Very, <laughs> very much so. It was fucking great. First episode is really fucking good. That's We can now go back to our, we can now go back to our like, you, I, so that's interesting to me because I thought you would want to, I, like, you personally would want to, uh, podcast about, uh, either movies or books or writing. I, I would well see this is it. I'd sort of want to have something where it was like us talking about kind of the rest of pop culture, like everything outside of comics, like food and blah blah and what we're watching and you know TV and movies kind of thing. You know, um, I think I think that would be because, like I said, because I enjoy talking with you, but I think Darth's sort of. It's really breaking my brain because comics have been such a huge cornerstone for my of my obsessions for such a long time. It's really hard when because his next question is, if you weren't into comics, what fun, weird, stupid hobby would fill the vacuum in the lives of an alternate universe? Jeff and Graham, you know, pop music. Yeah, you'd be great at pop music. Um, Why well, I wouldn't I wouldn't like I I I I don't hear nearly as much new stuff now as I used to, mm-hmm. and I don't search for it in the way that I used to. Yeah. But then again, if there's if like in this alternate world where there's no comics, that might not be the case. Mm-hmm. That might have been the thing that I became as obsessed with. Right. Well, this is you it. Know? I I feel I feel like ten years ago, or definitely like geez, twenty years ago, um. Like, I consumed so much, like, listened to a lot of music and watched a ton of movies and read a ton of comics and, you know, (laughs) because I was a lonely bachelor guy. And that worked, and I still have kind of my various, like, passions and obsessions along those – well, see, that's it. I have the vestigial tail from those, but I don't really have them. So I can sort of, part of me can be like, oh yeah, I would totally be into, like I could see myself doing like a movie podcast because I was always into movies a lot. And I, you know, it was easier for me to sort of dig into, uh, I think I did more reading and more obscure stuff than I ever did with music, which was always kind of flukish for me. Um, uh, but, but I mean, I got to tell you, there's times when I read or hear about people's excitement about other stuff. One thing that I really admire the shit out of is 
guys who I don't have I as a as a kid and a teenager I had absolutely no interest in being good with my hands in any way like no real technical aptitude and no interest in developing it and now that you know it's 50 years later part of me is kind of like I kind of wish that all of which is to say I kind of love the fact that pinball machines have made such the comeback that they have and I love looking at them and playing them and looking at the shit that people had to do to to restore them. Like, I'm much more in awe of that than I am, say, fixing cars or something like that, you know? there's yeah. So there's kind of a weird creative technical component that I could... I would... I can't say because I'm a. I know that in Dart's alternate universe, I'm still sort of lazy ass me. So I wouldn't really be. But into maybe it you're not. That that's yeah, just maybe it. It's true. Maybe the without comics, like maybe you will have me. gotten into something. Yeah. 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 That or sodomy. I figure it's one. It's one of those two. Like I'd be really into. It always is. <laughs> Tom Shapiro returns with a bonus question for you, Jeff. Oh, my goodness. What, man- what mangaka would you take to work on 2080? Oh, my God. Well, I mean, let's... I mean, the easiest, cheapest answer is, uh, like, Urasawa, right? Like, yeah, uh, that would be fucking phenomenal to see what he would do. And in, there's ways in which... I mean, he, he does such a great job with serialized stuff. Monster, which I don't necessarily think... Uh, I was I I don't think planted the landing for me, but is in many ways such a 2000 AD esque serial, um, it, except it's so deeply kind of sentimental. But even shit like t- 20th Century Boys and yeah, I would love to see Urasawa uh, on 2000 AD. I think he would be a fucking phenomenal match. Um, I don't know. Uh, Graham, I know the question was set up for me, but do you? Do I, you know? I, I, I would, I would have nothing to add to this because he would have been my selection as well. Oh, but okay. you know this shit more than I do. Eh, I, I mean, you know I, I mean? yeah, right. I, I, in a, in a way, I suppose I do. I mean, part of me is like, um, the the problem, of course, is I'm getting so bad with names. Like everyone knows that I'm such a huge fan of uh, Kazuo. Koei, is that it? The lone wolf and cub writer who who wrote the absolutely insane Crying Freeman stuff. Uh, yeah, Kazuo Koike. He would be, I mean, you would have to tone his work down for 2000 AD, which I think sort of would, in a way, make sense. And also his stuff is such a weird mix of... The thing that's weird about manga is it's it's paced literally the opposite of the way that 2000 AD stories yeah, are paced. Yeah, right. You know? So there's a lot that the manga guys get, and even someone like Urasawa, who I love, in terms of essentially slowly building the tension, and then when it hits, it just it just hits like a motherfucker. The, um, the guy doing Golden Kamoi, which is just astonishing, um, he does... His work is brilliant. Satoru Noda, um, it's that stuff is super fast paced. I think for manga, and um, maybe he could get a little bit closer to the style. I'm, I'm sure there there's like 
dozen there's probably once once you boil down manga to the people who are like working in almost like the gag style strips but but as a, as a general rule of thumb I think all the guys that I love um men and women uh tend to be again it's it's a it's such a totally radically different pace I'm not really sure they could make that transition as well as we might like but that being said holy shit give a manga dude like license out rogue trooper as a manga where it's like lots of slow shots of him like crawling on his belly across a strange wasteland while like you know his pants talk to him it's like the best i think it'd be that would be amazing and last question from scott is i feel even though he says either of you, it's an, it's one that I'm definitely going to say no to and you're going to say yes. Yep. So it's really a question to you. Are either of you reading Kill or Be Killed by Brubaker and Phillips? What do you think of it? I'm not reading it, but I'm fairly sure you were. I am. In fact, yeah. I, re- I read the uh, an issue just last week that came out. Uh, Scott, I, I dig it. I actually thought that um, I've described it on the podcast as uh, Spider-Man with a shotgun and I I'm kind of sticking with that description. And of course, Cram's like, oh God, now I'll definitely never read it. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't worry. I was pretty much there already, Jeff. <laughs> I know. Um, I, yeah, I like it a lot. In fact, I think we'll see. I'm not quite sure, uh, this latest issue that came out, like, I don't know if Brubaker is, going to wrap up this series because it literally has it like the it says like next issue the grand finale and i'm like wait of the goddamn series let me see if i can find the it is yeah um and i guess that would make sense because he's at a good jumping off point for it yeah here's a cover to next issue the big finale and i'm like no but but man, Brubaker's got himself a fucking uh, HBO show to write, right? Is it HBO? What's it, what the hell is he working no, on? No, it is. It, it's oh, it's that one about the police, the the police cadet who falls into the conspiracy, and it's Nicholas Winding Refn's. Yeah, it's uh, show. come on. It's not telling me. Come on, internet, you're really letting us down. Yeah. So so while Graham looks that up, I have to say that part of me. I'm a little disappointed because I feel like it's being wrapped up too fast. And who knows? It could be knowing Brubaker, he might be just kind of tying it off so that he can come back to it. But I don't necessarily know if that works super well for him. Like I It's don't... an Amazon show, Jeff. Oh, right. It's on Amazon. Right. Which is even crazier. Um, but also... But it has, it, has a, it has an Ed Brubaker title. <laughs> Oh, Too old to die young. <laughs> if anything, it stars Miles Taylor and oh, Billy shit. Baldwin. Holy shit! Wait, and this is a TV show? Wait, it's got to yeah. be a limited series. I can't imagine Miles Teller is going to do like a fucking like five uh, years of I, a TV I, show. Who, who the fuck knows? Huh. I suspect they prom- promised it to him as a year or something. Uh, anyway, I don't know. Um. But yeah, honestly, Brew Baker and Miles Teller and Nicholas Winding Refn, I think that could be pretty amazing. Um, I I hear tell that Teller is a bit of a prick, but I I actually quite like his acting. So 
yeah. So anyway, Scott, I I think I would have liked it better if it if it wasn't sort of ending. <laughs> I really, it's been one of my favorite books, and I really do like the way that that Brubaker I feel is revisiting superhero, like weirdly mixing superhero tropes with kind of a weirdly gritty, pessimistic fucked up noir premise so I, I've i been into it I think I enjoyed it much more than Scarlet or why do I think that now that I think of it maybe Brubaker's coming back with like he might have are you thinking of Fatal because uh, Scarlet's Bendis' book with Malieve oh shit sorry no right right no I do mean Fatal but I also get confused with um uh his super spy project the, the oh, uh, incognito, incognito? No, 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 no. The 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 woman. It's basically you know what if Miss Marty oh Penny shit was velvet the, velvet. Thank you, Scarlet and Velvet. Jesus, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, but I have to say, I do feel like with Brubaker, the stuff that I love when I love his stuff, um, I do. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many of the the recent landings end up sticking. Like, I wasn't too crazy. Like, I feel like Fatal came about as close. Like, I knew it was going to land. Um, but, like, what's the... Was it the fade-out? Like, I loved all of the fade-out, except for the end. And then I'm like, wait, it's over? Like, you know. So, I don't know. Uh, on the other hand, I sort of appreciate that Brubaker wraps his shit up. And I sort of suspected that Killer Be Killed was not going to run forever. But I kind of hoped it was going to go maybe twice as long as it did so the end that's my answer Graham Jeff we got through all the questions well there we go look at us wow we did this is great it, it's kind of amazing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly when it took us an hour to answer four of them I thought we're, we're not getting through them all tonight <laughs> well I always feel bad because sometimes I feel like the first people who get their questions in like get like super absurdly detailed responses and then, and then it just gets yeah so and then everyone else gets the shaft like oh come on come on like yes <laughs> yes just, just do it just do it so is there anything else we should co- I, I like the fact that we folded in some things like talking about Man of Steel or Justice League or other things in the course of the questions which is kind of nice but is there anything else we should talk about or you feel we should uh, tackle I I, I here's the thing. I feel like there is, but I also can't remember what it is. Mm. But I feel like there's something out there. Mm-hmm. That is. Did you see Solo? Uh, no, I still haven't seen it. Nope. You're the reason that film is tanking. Yes. Yes. I think. I think I was. I, I, holy shit! Is that film tanking? Yeah. One of my favorite things this week has been people being like, I like just can't seemingly unable to deal with the fact that it is just like disastrously flopping mm-hmm. like so disastrously flopping that like Justice League is making more money at, than it at wow. this point wow. Justice League had a better opening weekend and Justice League had a better second weekend how's which the second is, weekend shaping up really poorly it's like 29, 29 million or something at this point Ooh, wow uh, and Justice League had like 32 or something but it, it's hilarious to me that there are people who just can't like, don't want to admit or accept 
that it's flopping. And so all of a sudden, I don't know where people are like, if you think about the way that we just consider movies to be flops these days, it's ridiculous the amount of money we expect them to get. <laughs> I was like, this is true, but I don't remember you saying this about any other movie ever. You know what I think is there was uh, somebody had a link on Twitter to – it was the guy, the Forbes guy who does fiscal analysis – the yeah. box office stuff and it was after solo opened that after his opening weekend and i've read this guy before and i sometimes think his stuff is kind of bs but i i actually kind of liked his approach to um his the way he tackled the opening weekend now admittedly i don't know if he would say the same stuff if if the second weekend is going to be disastrously bad but he really made a an an intriguing point, which is he kind of said that this is the sort of business that he would have expected from Rogue One, that Rogue One ended up not making and therefore really throwing off the curve for um, essentially Star Wars outside Outside of Star Wars, well, yeah. everyone expected Rogue One to make less money than it did. Rogue right. One definitely outperformed, way outperformed, which is which is great. But and his argument was is that it really sort of threw off expectations. But I also think really suggests something super interesting, which is all the dudes. Well, and it's kind of interesting because he also talks about the Last Jedi's box office and it, sort of his own frustration with. Um, the bullshit, you know, people who, you know, I'm oh, the, 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 like, it, we didn't like Rogue, uh, we didn't like Last Jedi, therefore we're the ones who made Solo fail. And it's like, sure, but apparently you kept going to see Last Jedi enough that it was a massive success. Well, and then you yes. Said boycott like the Nets film, which is everything you want, you say you want from a Star Wars film. Right, right, which is to me really interesting is this idea of like, Honestly, at this point, with five movies out, it's re- – and I mean, it, this isn't really the way that you should look at it, but it's very glib to be like, clearly, the move, the Star Wars movies that perform well are the Star Wars movies with female leads and leads people of color in the leads. And it's – so far, it's the white guy's Star Wars it's- movie – yeah, that, that, is, that has flopped. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I, I, I kind of love that. And it's interesting seeing how people are going to react or not react. I also think that I'm not really sure that I entirely subscribe to that. I mean, I do think that there was so much stuff with Solo that I think was just... Well, I mean, in many ways, Solo was set up for failure. Completely. Like they essentially reshot the entire film, made yep. it like the most expensive Star Wars film ever made. Yeah. And it was never going to be more successful than like Force Awakens or Last Jedi. It just wasn't. No, exactly. That is like, it's, I said this on Twitter, it's crazy to me that in 2018, we're legitimately saying, oh, a Star Wars movie isn't going to make its money back at the theater. Yeah. Like, that's nuts. Yeah. Well, it's... It is nuts, but I mean, it's also kind of, I don't know. I, again, I think part of me is, is like, I think Solo was doomed to fail because I just don't think that. I don't think anyone really wanted the film. 
Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I just, I think, I think that the fact of the matter is, is that Harrison Ford is one of the few legitimate goddamn movie stars of the second half of the 20th century. He just is. And I just can't think of any sort of way in which, at a level at which you can't just put someone in there and kind of fill his shoes. Like I was reading someone talking about the, they were, you know, had been talking about trying to cast someone to sort of do what Chris Pine did for Captain Kirk Mm -hmm. in the J.J. Abrams Star Trek thing. And I think that, A, that really does show, like, what incredible lightning in a bottle uh, Pine was, Pine's performance really is, but also that... That's so much smaller stakes. Like, as a guy who loves William Shatner's Captain Kirk, I'm like, and I love Shatner, that guy did not quite have the same influence as every kid I knew wanted to be Han Solo. And then every kid I knew wanted to be Indiana Jones. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Harrison Ford was like, I actually love, I read uh, Carrie Fisher's uh, The Princess Diaries um, Mm -hmm. because it was on sale for stupid cheap. And it's and it's a it's a fun little read because, of course, Fisher is a very fun writer. I mean, almost sort of um, manically so, which is not exhaustingly so. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But her thing about talking about Harrison Ford and and how much charisma Ford had in person back then is um, like, she's like, I wasn't, you know, she was starstruck by him, but she wasn't the only one. And this, these are people in Hollywood, right? So I just think that honestly, once they did that, they were kind of boned in a way that it was foolish to think that they were like, Oh yeah, we can totally do that. Um, you know, it's not the same as, as, you know, recasting Batman. It's not the same as recasting Captain Kirk. It's just, it's kind of foolhardy. And then, of course, on top of that, it's a troubled production. And then part of it is, is just, it's, stu- it just sounded stunningly unoriginal. You know, there's just a lot of the, it, everyone saying, like, I didn't, it basically answered questions that I never needed answered about this character, you know? You wanted to know where Han Solo got his last name. Just admit it. I never wanted to know that. <laughs> I never wanted to know that. That's, that, that's the funny thing. It's like, like ex- exactly. It never occurs to you, because why would it? Yeah, you know? I mean, that just seems ridiculous to me. But even all the rest of it, like the whole idea of, like... Ugh, ugh. I mean, honestly, I would have much rather have seen like a like a young Obi Wan Kenobi spinoff. Or, Don't worry, you know they're I mean? working on that as well. Oh, Jeff. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they are. And part of me is like, it's ridiculous. But even, I, I, sorry, yeah. no, 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 no. It's just. I was going to say, I was very amused at the Boba Fett thing. Yes, right. Like, oh my god, that again. Just the fact that people are kind of like, uh. This is the thing that I think is amazing, is is the Disney Star Wars really did an amazing job recreating Star Wars for the next generation. Like, in a way of, 
being perhaps overly faithful or too unfaithful, depending on which sort of crowd of naysayers you ask, but it's kind of hard to argue with the results. And there's a little bit of that idea of like, yeah, figure out, I, I think I told you, like, I really enjoyed reading Star Wars Rising Stars. And part of it was very much, uh, there, you can get a lot of mileage out of the Star Wars universe in which you're just telling sort of different types of stories about, you know, sort of different type of archetypes, you know, mm-hmm. like the star-crossed lovers of Lost Stars totally works in a goofy way because you've got, like, the Star Wars supporting characters, but the idea of, like, you've got, you know lovers and one becomes like a you know a commander in the empire and the other one ends up becoming like a pilot in the rebellion like it's goofy and cheesy in a way that exactly totally star wars is and can be and there's a lot of fun goofy cheesy stories you can tell that so the whole idea that they really were like oh and then we'll go back and tell you how han solo got his vest i'm like what are you guys thinking like really like that doesn't seem like anything like a good idea or again this idea of boba fett where it's like never say never you know you can get some guy like as as much as i you know that guy drives me crazy you know get damon lindelof on the right riddling cocktail and he can rattle off something where i'm like oh i didn't see that coming that was kind of cool but 99 percent of the time you're just going to be like boba fett is never going to work because everyone's definition of Boba Fett is different because Boba Fett is nobody and nothing. You know what I mean? But in a very specific nobody and nothing because we had the toy and we had the freedom to create the most awesome character ever in our heads. Yes, you know? it's it's funny. But you have to wonder if there wasn't a Boba Fett toy. Like whether anyone would really give a shit about Boba Fett the way they do. Well, I don't think so. I really I, don't I got, think so. I, I wrote a thing for THR that was basically like, oh my god, ignore the prequels because like, the prequels really fucked Boba Fett. Yeah. Because it just was like, oh, his dad. His dad had the same like spaceship, yeah. the same outfit, and the same job. Yeah. Yeah. So he like he's gone from being this dangerous dude to a dude who does exactly what his dad did. Yeah, basically. And drives, his, and drives his dad's car. Yeah. Like just never mention the prequels ever again. And I get so many people on Twitter being like, "How can you say ignore the prequels?" And I remembered Star Wars fans are the worst. For all that we make jokes about like comic fans or Marvel fans or whatever. Yeah. Star Wars fans are the worst. Sorry, Dylan Todd and. And Jason and all of the other people that <laughs> I really true, like and though. love. No, 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 absolutely. And, um, you know, I, it's, I don't know. I mean, again, it's just that thing of like, yeah, I, I feel that, that Bob, that Lucas in a fit of peak totally took the piss on, on Boba Fett and Django Fett in the prequels. And you're kind of screwed now. Um, like with whatever you do. Cause that, because, again, part of me is like, ah, oh, that sucks, but at least it's, you know, at least there's sort of Lucas's maniacal grudge settling. He at least sort of felt like he had something to prove there. Like, everyone else is like, oh, no, no, I'm going to prove that he's awesome. And I'm like, man, unless you have him climb up on Evil Knievel's dirt bike and jump, like, seven Transformers, like, it's not going to happen. Because you know that's, that's going to be the fucking plot of the James Van Gogh movie now. 
Yeah, they're oh, going to come up. Oh, first of all, they're right. going to invent and that guy. They're, they're going right. to invent Star Wars Transformers. Oh. Then they're going to invent Star Wars Evil Knievel. See, <laughs> I'm at a point in the film. That's what I'm telling you. That in in that case, I will be first in line. But no, James Mangold. That's the other thing. Is like a guy who has just. I mean, oh, that dude has such an amazing dearth of imagination that. Signing him up for a Boba Fett movie is just gonna, that's gonna suck so hard. Like, unless someone's got, like, a golden Boba Fett script, like, up their sleeve somewhere. He's right as well, Jeff. Oh, God, then they're super fucked. Oh, my God. Like, Logan was an okay movie. It was actually pretty decent. But, A, I didn't think it was that great. And B, honestly, having watched The Wolverine or whatever the fuck they called it, the previous movie that was a massive bag of shit, like, oh my god. Like, and I don't know, I, I saw other stuff from Mangold. Honestly, ugh, uh, like, do you know anyone who's ever tried to watch, like, Walk the Line, rewatch Walk the Line? Nobody. No one has ever watched that movie twice. Ever. Ever, because it is the most boring, monotonous movie ever made. And once you get over the fact that Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon did their own singing, there is nothing to that movie that is ugh. ugh. That's my favorite movie, and you've just <laughs> <laughs> go on, Graham. Make your case for it. I know you're bluffing. Because nobody <laughs> likes that movie. Because I've never even seen it. See, there you go. Honestly, no one. Damn no it, one you called my bluff. I know. That was a toughie. My battleship. I know. <laughs> that was tough. That really required a sophisticated knowledge of Graham McMillan to thread that needle. Um, yeah. Uh, Jesus. Okay, well, anyway, that, let's. I, I'm sure I've ranted enough on, on that, but... No, but to get back to your question, I think there is something else we should be talking about, and I honestly can't remember what it is, which means it doesn't get talked about. Yeah, yeah, until next time or whatever. Sorry, everyone, but no, next time, Jeff. Next time is a Baxter building. Oh, holy shit, you're right. Holy cow. Wow. The the days are just flying by here. Uh, do you remember which issues we're talking about, discussing? I'm really hoping that I wrote it down. Yeah, I'm sure I did, you did. I can tell you. I, I'm not sure I did. Oh. Uh, Usually put it at the end of the show notes. I, I, yeah, you know what? I think I said 356 to 361. Wow. Okay, great. There you go. 356 to 361. That's the episodes that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's going to be... I'm actually really, really interested as to what you're going to think. I, too, am also interested in what I am going to think. It'd be great if we, like, talked and it's clear I haven't done the reading. I just read, like, the Marvel Wiki <laughs> things for it. I'm not sure I'd blame you. But... Yeah. I must say, I was very shocked when Nathaniel Richards came bearing a object of mysterious significance, Graham. Let's talk about it. What I love is you're not a million miles away from a plot. Oh, shit! Oh, no! Oh! Oh! Put this way, if you want to see Nathaniel Richards again, and you're in doesn't. luck. Oh, lucky. Wow. If you want to see Nathaniel Richards 
like in the most X many way possible. I have to Even say, more so I'm sort than, of than when Burn brought him back. Yeah, I'm, I'm cheating because I remember some of the covers from that from from that era, sort of. But just wait, they do the whole like cable thing with Franklin as well. <gasps> no, just wait. I'm fascinated. It, That's it, interesting. It is. No, it's it's great watching DePaco and Ryan basically be like, how can we remix X Men plots? Into the Fantastic Four. Which is great, because you know that that's one of the things that really turns DeFalco's crank, is, you know, Claremont's X-Men. <laughs> oh, it's, I didn't say it was Claremont's X-Men. Oh, it's an X-Men franchise. Oh, my God. That would be great. It's like, all of a sudden, you know, it's like Reed being like, I, I have a sudden need to go down to the Java joint. Bernard the Poet is performing. So, like, yeah, but you know that Falco genuinely would have loved to bring back Bernard the Poet. Oh, completely, completely. And also, Graham, I don't know if you did do it, if you stuck with it, but you really, um, I think you would enjoy all of your Deadpool. So I hope, I hope you, if you didn't, if you, if I know you read no, through I, the first I, issue. Yeah, I, I, I dropped off like not, not, not in the sense of like I'm never coming back, just in the sense of like my concentration span is terrible. Right. Uh, like. By issue three or something. Oh, okay. Because issue three, I want to say issue three is the seventies issue, which had some great stuff in it that you didn't bring up. Since we're talking about two thousand AD, two thousand AD fans, I think would enjoy seeing um, seeing Deadpool exclaim like "Grud on a greenie." So it's a it's 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 a it's a laugh. I really they're enjoyed like, that mini series. Like this is what this is what I want. From from my from my Deadpool comics in particular. <laughs> well, I do I do love apart from the fact that since it's a time traveling thing, you've got Justice Peace in there, and then at a certain point when he's visiting the seventies, you have him basically do all the seventies comics riffs. Um, you know, you've got horror and you've got kung fu, and then at one point he literally it turns into like black and white and crappy paper and he's like oh god I'm in a horribly violent British 70s comic and Justice Peace is like blowing up people's eye you know shooting people in their heads or blowing off and they're melting in front of him and stuff and it's it's good stuff it's good times right? it's good times <laughs> you're like this is what I want that's what this. I want yeah, well, this is it I'm like I figure like this is what you would want oh wait you didn't see Deadpool 2 did you no did you see Deadpool 1 uh yes <laughs> I want to say like no, but it's one of those things where like I want to say like I rented it, mm-hmm. and I was like, eh, and like was not paying was not paying attention for whatever better way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say I saw Deadpool two and uh, did not did not see Solo. Saw Deadpool two and um, I think uh, you came out ahead to be honest with you. I I think that I did too. I think that I did too. There was a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed about Deadpool two. It wasn't great. I think I enjoyed the first movie more, but the sequences that were um, really, even the really obvious sequences, I ended up laughing surprisingly hard at. So, yeah, I was into it. This is the point where I'm going to segue away from us just randomly talking now <laughs> to remind everyone that we have show notes at waitwhatpodcast.com. We have a Tumblr at waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. And we have a Twitter account at waitwhatpodcasts. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastid at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. And I have a Twitter account at Graham M at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. We also air... Uh, th- 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 
I'll try that again. We're also a Patreon supported podcast, which is when I hand over to the cinematically endowed Mr. Jeffrey Lester. <laughs> oh, wow. That was not the word that I would have used. Uh, see, cinematically adequate. <laughs> don't put yourself down, If Jeff. the mood is right. That, uh, that, that, aren't you going to mention the account? Yeah, that would be me. No, I'm not. Oh, okay. <laughs> that would require me to be more on top of that than I am. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, listeners, you're awesome. We appreciate you so much. Um, it is, thank you for being patient with us and even having questions that you want to ask us after what's really going to be, this is going to be episode 249, Graham, which. I know. We've really got an upper game on Planet 250. <sighs> I know, right? We really should do something, even though numbering is completely arbitrary. Like, well, it is. If you think about it, we've also done like like forty two boxer building, right? And bonus so really, episodes this, this, and things, yeah, this, and yeah, this is really like episode like three hundred and something. By yeah, this point. exactly. It really is, but yeah, but nonetheless, like because we're about at Marvel levels of good when it comes to numbering, we're we're gonna have to figure out something to do for episode two fifty. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to listen to us, support us, um, uh, tweet things at us. Um, there's been some awesome comments on uh, waitwhatpodcast.com that I've not gotten in and replied to, but I've really been enjoying some some just really good, strong, enjoyable um, reading over there from the people who listen to us, and that is. Like, I don't know. It's just so amazing. Uh, also amazing is the fact that people um, occasionally throw their uh, cosmic coin at us uh, via the Patreon Galactic website. Groats. Galactic Groats. See, why don't I just... We just got to brainstorm a list and then I can just Gal- go no, I down. I think Galactic Groats is from 2008 either. Yeah. I could be wrong, but I think it's from 2008. I, I think that sounds familiar because I think you've actually used the term before. So Yeah. But... Um, I have nothing original. <laughs> Dude! Didn't you hear the Keep part going. where I mentioned we're in the episode 300s? It's shocking that we're just not like both soundboards or probably someone could create an AI program out of the hundreds of hours oh, that God. we've talked and just create artificial episodes for us. Well, no, so we're, I'm going to take a diversion now, and I know Jeff is in the middle of the Patreon thing, which is normally much shorter, but I have to just <laughs> let you all know this. Um, when Jeff and I did the last podcast when he was in town, he came over just as I'd literally finished doing an interview with someone. And in fact, you saw the person I'm doing an interview with leave, Jeff. Yeah. And I saw Jeff for dinner a couple of nights later, and I told Jeff that I had uh, put the the fairly lengthy conversation I'd had with the person I was interviewing oh, yes. into one of these automatic transcribing systems. And what had happened is this person who I was interviewing Everything she said came through like pretty, pretty good, like maybe like 90% correct. I came through maybe 10% correct. So astoundingly wrong. It was as if the service either occasionally genuinely didn't even attempt to transcribe what I was saying or would attempt it and get everything wrong. For example, the example I like to keep giving is the question I said was, how did you become a cartoonist? The question it transcribed was, why did you become a virgin? <laughs> I'm would, telling, I I'm would, telling Jeff this. 
at dinner, and Jeff comes up with the idea that he wants to transcribe an episode of this podcast just to see what it says. So when Jeff starts talking about other things that we could do with this podcast, just know that he's actually vaguely serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, that is that is a genius idea. Also, for a Patreon ex- extra, you really should read all of your questions that they that they transcribed. Thankfully, for you. I've overwritten it. Thankfully, I've overwritten it. <sighs> otherwise, otherwise that would have been a good idea. But now. Ah. Do you know that I ended up it ended up being like close to like uh, a an hour and a half of mm-hmm. conversation through, mm-hmm. and it I because I did it the day after I saw you for dinner, it took me like six hours. Yeah, and that's after you did the basic trans yeah, after you already yeah. had that. So yeah, good lord. Yeah, it was it was a long day. Mm, mm, that is brutal. Yeah, that's true. Actually, everyone, because when we podcast, I was at Graham's place. And we left, and I was so knackered. It was kind of late. It was actually about an hour later than now, so it was like eleven o'clock later. And I was I was catching a cab back to my hotel room so I could stretch out, and you know I think I was going to have like a, a pleasant little nightcap at the, and the I, hotel I restaurant. And you worked, I know. This is the part that was just like that was that was that, oh. was, not, that was not a good day. I am so sorry. That, that, that was a late one, but no. It, it, I, on the on the Sunday after I had, had dinner with you, mm-hmm. um, I I ended up spending like hours transcribing, even though it had already been transcribed, because I had to listen to everything to make sure, sure. Yeah. A, it had got her answers right, but B, basically rewrite everything I said. Yes. Yeah. Oh God. Because it was like you know, I, on the number of times it just didn't transcribe anything that I was saying as well. It was just like we're not even fucking trying. Yeah. Forget it. Forget it. Wow. Amazing. Uh, anyway, uh, we're incredibly grateful to all of our listeners, including our supporters on Patreon and uh, especially the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios, as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, uh, for their continuing support of this podcast and for allowing the galaxy to survive, even if Solo, a Star Wars story, did not. Graham? It's surviving just fine. It's a fucking Star Wars film. <laughs> it's going to make a shit ton of money. It might not make its money back, but you know what, Will? All the merchandising. And then, like, people buy it on... I was going to say DVD. They won't buy it on DVD. They'll buy it on Blu-ray. Or digital download. It'll be fine, Jeff. It'll be no fine. To, no one needs to cry any tears over <laughs> Star Wars. Okay? <laughs> Strangely enough, the most successful film movie franchise in the world is probably going to be okay. Just putting that out there. I, I'm not we'll be back. worried about the franchise. But yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back next week, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, let's make it next uh, week. Right. Uh, and next week we're going to be doing a Baxter building. It'll be amazingly exciting because we're entering the Tom DeFalco, Paul Ryan stage. And I, I think I've actually already said this in the podcast. I've read ahead. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed them. I don't want anyone to take that as a sign that they're good. <laughs> Just literally, and I had this experience with Solo. When you go in with your expectations on the fucking ground floor, yep. anything better than this is the worst thing ever, you're like, oh, I, I find myself pleasantly surprised. So, everyone, just go into it thinking, this is shit. <laughs> and who knows what can happen. Until then, though. Bye! Ah. <sighs>
lovely. Just lovely, Graham.